This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, a merciful end to the Ashes as England crumble again. Novak's gone so we can finally get onto the actual tennis. Do you know how many NFL teams play in New York? And some juicy questions from round seven of the NBL. So much against Stewie, so, so much. Let's go. It's 9.30 on Tuesday, the 18th of January, 2022. And to quote the great Billy Birmingham pretending to be Richie Benno, typical fucking stinking hot day here in Perth. Yeah, God. I didn't do that voice very well. I couldn't be asked trying too hard there. But yes, it's we're melting here, aren't we? What's, As the, is... what's the humidity at, like 150%? <laughs> I don't know if it's that bad. Basically, not basically but... swimming at the moment. <laughs> it's horrible. Just some housekeeping before we get into our normal top. We thought we'd remind people that we are releasing segments more often now, so we'll do that more regularly. We'll have a couple of segments every week before the episode proper, starting with This Week in Sport History and then a couple of ones after that. We hope people are still listening to the episode, so what we'll do is we'll hide the segments after a couple of weeks, just so it doesn't clutter up our feed too much, because... The episodes full are the flagship, aren't they? And we still want people listening to them. So ideally, and apologies for the hour and forty last week. Well, yes, I mean a little bit excited. But yeah, a well, a lot going on, and there's a lot going on this week too. And of course, we might be preaching to the converted here because those that are listening to the clips only won't hear this bit. But hopefully, <laughs> people are still listening to the episodes proper. Maybe we'll release this as a clip. <laughs> we should. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but Stewie, as we do at the time every week, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, a couple of things this week. Firstly, I noticed something while I was re-listening to last week's episode. I made a bit of an error. I said that in the second test, Michael Neza had a FIFA, which is completely false. He had one in the first and the second inning, so only two for the match. But 35 with the bat in the first digs are still pretty impressive. Oh, look, you know, you can't get it all right. No. I said Scotty Fisher was the coach of UC Santa Barbara. That's where he actually played. He was coaching at the University of Hawaii, but he's not there anymore. So there we so all make mistakes. We do. We all make the odd Andrew guess. Ah, yes. Yes, indeed. Yes. Punching there. Sure. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Come on. Let it go. <laughs> actually, I watched Frozen today with my daughter. <laughs> Poor you. It's fucking horrible. Oh, it sure is. It really is. Like the bloody, what's that um, snowman? The comic relief for the parents doesn't come in until two thirds into the fucking movie. By which time I was already in another Yeah, room, Oh, yeah that's, yeah, that's I feel sorry for any parent that has to watch that more than once. Yes. But what really caught my attention this week was something out of the Japanese fourth-tier soccer. Oh, okay. Suzuki Point Getters, awesome name, by the way, <laughs> made a signing this week. 54-year-old Kazuyoshi Miura. Now, we made a big deal about Vince Carter playing in the NBA across four different decades. Miura actually made his professional debut in 1986. Wow. For Santos in Brazil, He's played with a number of sides over the years, including a loan to Sydney FC in 2005. We actually scored twice in four games. He's a bloody good player. Played 10 years on the Japanese national side, even represented Japan in futsal, which is basically an indoor smaller version of soccer, at the age of 45. Wow. So hell of a player. In 2017, he became the oldest player to take part in a professional match in Yokohama's 1-1 draw with V. Varan Nagasaki. A week later, he became the oldest player to score in a professional game, scoring the winner in a 1-0 victory over, and I apologize if I butcher this, Thespakusatsu Gunma. Last, last year, he broke the record for the oldest player to play in a J-League Cup match at 53 years, five months and 10 days, breaking the old record by over 10 years. Wow. But to put into perspective how crazy this is, he was actually born three years before Paris Saint-Germain was founded. 
There's your link to last week. Yeah, well, there you go. What an absolute champion. Yeah, yeah. How about yourself, mate? Well, a couple of things, Shri, and, and look, I'll be quick again here because we do have so much to get through once again. Man United have conceded two more goals than Burnley, who are anchored to the bottom of the EPL table. So there's one for the stats aren't everything crowd, or the only stat that matters is wins and losses. Yeah, geez, they're struggling. The Minnesota Wild scored two goals in four seconds against Anaheim a couple of days ago, and yet it's not even the two fastest goals in wild history. They managed two and three seconds against Chicago in 2004, nearly to the day, funnily enough. I actually remember that. Oh, incredible. Yeah, I remember that. That was just insane. But what I wanted to save for last is following on from our story about Genevieve Beacom pitching for the Melbourne Aces last week and doing very well with it. I have another one here. So this one was from Izzy on Twitter. And I quote, on our holiday camp registrations, 12-year-old Joseph said his favorite player was Shyla Hill. A friendly reminder that female athletes aren't just inspirational to little girls. So shout out to Izzy. Well, and, especially uh, if they've got that level of skill. Oh, yeah. Oh, Shyla's going to be very special. She very really special will. indeed. So, yeah. What'd you miss, mate? Got so much stuff this weekend. This was one of the hardest weekends of sport because firstly, I had the girls. So kind of had to give them one screen, namely the big frozen. one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, not, some, not just frozen, but yeah, they had the big screen. So I'm kind of watching on my phone, but the Ashes was on. There was NBL back. There was AFLW on. There Wild was card weekend in the so NFL. So much yeah. stuff. And it's like yeah. trying to find time to even go back and watch the replays. It was a nightmare. So I hear it was tough. I mean, what can you do? You just portion your time as best you can. Well, that's right. You have to make hard calls. Guessing yeah. you're in the same boat? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I made the calls on the basketball. I, I know that we're going to go hard on the basketball soon enough. Massive NFL fan. Tried to watch as much of Wildcard Weekend as I could. Only saw the one AFLW game, the Dockers game, because we're supporters of the Dockers in the AFLW. So, yeah. So, unfortunately, I won't have as much to talk about with the basketball this week. I'll be relying on you a little bit more, but you didn't watch as much NFL. So, together, we'll do our best. I do have the inside track, though, on the Green Bay Packers versus by. <laughs> <laughs> what a fizzer that was. Uh. So, Shui, we'll start at the top again with the Australian Open and the distraction. Bernard Tommy. <laughs> no, I did. Reckons to... he can win Wimbledon. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. Well, did you see Nick Curios? Actually, someone was asking him about his year, and he's like, "I'm not going to give you bullshit answers like Bernard Tommy did." Yeah. Oh, there you go. Said, no, oh yeah. You but... always get a uh, honest quote from Curios. But I did want to just quickly slot this in before we start talking about Novak. I mentioned last week that he was having major problems breathing in his qualifier, and he'd sort of said to the umpire, "Oh yes, if I test positive, you owe me dinner." Well, blow me down. He tests positive. Ah, okay. Three days later, he, he is on the positive pile. So Bernard, speedy recovery. Good luck with. Oh well, we don't we don't wish ill health upon anyone. Oh no, but yeah. he's just a douchebag. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Count those millions, buddy. Good luck at Wimbledon. Anyway, so Novak, so he lost his appeal. The minister Alex Hawke has cancelled his visa on the basis of public interest grounds to that effect. I'm kind of sick of it all. I don't know how you feel about it. I mean, there's some fun stuff coming out. Like I saw a really cool tweet that said, Mr. Djokovic has no challenges remaining. Yes, there was a lot of good stuff like that. Yeah, and they showed the the ball missing the line and yeah. with the word out. out. And yeah, the Hawkeye <laughs> footage and stuff. Yes. Twitter had a field day with it, as they always as it do. Always does, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and look, the Ben Rothenberg stuff's really interesting and I followed it pretty closely, but it's just such a distraction and it's a real shame, isn't it, really? Well, I mean, it's taken away from so much. The draw wasn't finalised until basically the day before. The players weren't really getting a chance to have a proper lead up. It was all about him. It wasn't about any of the people that were actually going to be playing in the tournament. Yeah. Look, in the end, 
the right decision, you have to say, was made. He tried to skirt the rules, had a winch to the courts, ultimately sent packing. We said it last week, people are entitled to their own set of beliefs, but you have to be willing to adhere to the rules of the country that you're entering. Lying about going to Spain, incorrectly filling out the declaration, that would be enough to get anyone turned around. It's funny, the lying in Spain thing. I saw a Herald Sun article, and I can't remember the author, sorry about that, but he basically said, Novak can remember shots he played 10 years ago and yet can't remember going to Spain a week ago or so. Yeah, so, yeah. it's kind of a big It sums deal. it up, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. But like, honestly, you imagine if someone from, and I, I'm sorry to say this out loud, someone from the Middle East or someone from parts of Asia, those places that unfortunately get stereotyped going through airports. Well, no, it's not even stereotypes. There are literally immigration red flags on certain countries. Mm. It's just the way it is, whether you like it or not. And, and if they had done the same thing, filled in the paperwork incorrectly, they'd be on the next plane home in the blink of an eye. Well, funny, I've got a tweet there from Julie at Dootsies. Awesome. <laughs> I wish I could get an urgent hearing in the Federal Circuit Court on a Friday night with no application filed for my refugee asylum seeker clients. Mm. Good luck. And that's what I was kind of hoping Novak might shine a light on the plight of refugees, some of whom have been here for like 10 years. And this isn't a left or right thing. It's a human rights thing. We should actually give a shit about people and not have them basically held in indefinite detention. Yeah. Like, How long does it take to figure out if a person is good or bad for a community? And it's not illegal under the United Nations Conventions for Refugees, of which Australia is a signatory. If we don't want to follow it, leave the convention then or Mm. do something. Or here's a thought. If you're not willing to commit to letting these people join a community, here's a thought. Send them to Canada or just give them the option at least rather than saying you're going to be in this hotel, which is by all accounts a piece of shit. It was really interesting to see some of the social media stuff. People have learned a lot about this. They actually went to protest the, the Novak detention and then actually kind of joined the refugee protest. Good, yeah. was one tweet I saw. Unfortunately, I didn't take note of it. But yeah, I just, I don't know. Just nothing about this looks good. No, no one wins. Our nation doesn't look good. Our government looks stupid. Just the whole thing is really sad. I'm not sure if he was denied on the right grounds. I would have thought like, so the grounds were that it was basically, it might encourage more protests and anti-vaxxers and it might encourage bad sentiment in the community. For me, I would have thought lying on immigration forms is probably the technicality that I would have sent him home on. Yeah. I mean, for fuck's sake, George Christensen is in the government and he's spouting anti-vax stuff. So what, is that really the reason? You're like, if, if that's the case, don't accept his vote in parliament. But they're not going to do that. Anyway, I, don't, I, won't, yeah. I won't get too political. <laughs> Enough politics. Now, it's quite interesting because if you look at all the social medias right now, it seems that the Jockabites aren't taking it too well. No. That's the nickname I've given to his fans, the Jockabites. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So if anyone who's wondering, the Jacobites of Scotland, that's kind of what I'm naming them uh, after. Okay, I was thinking the Dolomites. Fairly large group of people followed an idiot into war, ultimately got defeated. Okay. Jockabites. Yep. yep, fair enough. Patent pending. Yep, okay. Yeah. So bad. they are picking fights with anything that moves on the socials, claiming we're racist and backwards and third world, which is somewhat ironic considering Serbia is closer to third world than we are. <laughs> but it's not about that. It's just become really personal. Anytime you say anything bad about Djokovic, you're an idiot. You've got no idea what you're talking about. He did nothing wrong, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, hang on a second. Like, yeah, well, we're, yeah, I don't know. On the flip side of that, we're calling some people idiots and such. So well, I, I don't know. We're, we've got to be careful in that uh, glass house there, I it's think. It's never happened. <laughs> never. But the other interesting thing to come out of this before we move on, at this stage, the French Open is a bit up in the air for it. And they're not wanting unvaccinated people there. There's talk that he could lose up to $42 million worth of sponsorship because why would people like Peugeot and Lacoste actually want to pay him 
if he's not at Roland Garros. And this is the thing. A lot of players have said, look, we didn't want to get vaxxed, but we want to play in the tournament. So we got vaxxed and he was the one that didn't. So yeah, I mean, we did kind of say it's a fate accompli. He'll break the record at one of these tournaments. But if they don't allow unvaxxed players, then he's in a bit of trouble. Potentially. Yeah. They're very, very interesting times ahead. So we'll see what happens. You have to imagine the US Open would follow a very similar trend. I mean, the UK is going through thousands and thousands and thousands of cases every single day, hundreds of thousands sometimes. If the US Open was in the state of Florida, I would say no, but it is in the state of New York and we know what's happening with Kyrie Irving and stuff. So yeah, look, it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. It's very possible. Anyway. (sighs) What a shit show. Look, I am looking forward to the 30 for 30 or whatever documentary comes out of this, but at the moment I'm just bloody sick of it. Mm. So we'll actually talk about some stuff going on the court. Well, I mean, rather than in the court, there's not a whole heap of action. I mean, they've only had the first couple of days. Round one is basically complete. Some massive scalps, as is oh, yeah. always yeah. Always the case. upsets. We yeah. always talk about it. So yeah. Cam- Cameron Norrie, the 12 seed in the men's, rolled in straight sets. Andy Murray knocked off the 21 seed, Nikolaj Bashilis Feely. Epic five setter there. John Isner lost a five setter. Then in the women's 2020 champion, Sophia Kanin lost to Madison Keys. You had. Cam- There's no slouch. Oh, no, she's. But, yeah. But she's one of those players where. The consistency was just never there. Yeah. You also had, speaking of, Coco Golf got beat. Yes, I saw that. Today. So she yeah. lost to, to Kriang Wang, I believe it's pronounced. Shelby Rogers, she knocked Ash Barty out in the US Open. She's gone. Ditto Petra Kvitova. Angelique Kerber lost to Kai There's some big names on the women's side of the draw, yeah. And Wimbledon finalist Layla Fernandez, rolled by Aussie Madison Inglis. So huge. Really huge. It's not unusual, though, for an upstart to experience a bit of... They become the hunted. Yeah. So... I don't think that's a huge surprise, to be honest. And we very nearly had an even bigger one. Raducanu. No, Storm Sanders. Ah, okay. So she was playing Arena Sabalenka, the two seed, up a set, up a break, and unfortunately from 3-1 up in the second set, lost at 6-3 and then got rolled in the third set. So bit of a shame. Interestingly, going back to Sophia Kanin, she's actually lost that many points from losing here that she's going to drop back to world number 91. Wow. So a huge fall from grace from her. And of course, Novak Djokovic didn't make round two. So <laughs> he <laughs> always, didn't make round one. <laughs> always some massive surprises by the end of round one. So as you say, Shui, at time of recording, it's well and truly in its infancy, and I'm sure there'll be plenty more to talk about next time. Oh, there'll be huge talking points. I mean, Nick Kyrgios has already had one in between his legs underarm serve today. Which he won, you were saying. Which he, which he won. Point. He won the point. <laughs> so I'm sure he's going to cause chaos no matter how, how long he's there, whether he's there for one more game or, or whatever. But... We'll get something fun out of him, I'm sure. Indeed. Just to finish as well, obviously that footage of the Channel 7 newsreaders dropping F-bombs about Novak kind of came out just as we hit record last week. I didn't actually realise that it was Beck Madden from the footy shows. I mean, we're not as familiar with her over here because we don't get her in WA apart from when she hosted the footy show, but I didn't realise she'd moved to Channel 7 and anyway, yeah. That, they, was, that they, was funny. They got the leak at least. Did you say that there was the conspiracy people were saying that it was a setup and stuff? Like, including Andrew Bogut. It's like, come on. If you're doing this for a PR stunt as a setup, the bloke is not going to drop the F-bomb about seven times in a minute and a half. Like, it's... I heard the Illuminati was involved. <laughs> the underground lizard people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the mole people. <laughs> oh, God. Go tennis. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week takes us to the Limbe Stadium in Limbe, Cameroon, and the Africa Cup of Nations clash between Tunisia and Mali. 
Now, quite a hot day when this took place. Temperatures well into the mid-30s, which at the moment here doesn't really seem that bad. Oh, but playing sport in mid-30s is tough. Very, very Especially different. soccer, yeah, yeah. God, could you imagine even running for five minutes right now? The A-League, man, I don't know how they do it. And the AFLW, like some of the conditions that people play in is mm. tough. It is very crazy. Tough. But it seems that the heat messed with Zambian referee Janny Sakazwe's brain. Now, Nathan, how many minutes make up a soccer match? 45 plus 45. 90, 90. minutes, correct. Simple. You're not even a referee, nor do you particularly like soccer. Oh, I saw this one. Yeah, I did see this one. This is bizarre. So Marley's leading the game 1-0, getting towards the end of the game. And Sakazwe has actually blown full time with 85 minutes showing on the clock. The error was actually pointed out to him and play resumed before he blew full time again on 89 minutes. Now, Tunisia was certain there was going to be injury time based on a few of the stoppages in between then. There's almost always at least a minute. Pretty rare that you don't get any. And yeah. usually that's only at the end of the first half. So yeah, very unusual. So eventually it was determined that there would be more time added and the teams were called back out with a different referee. But Tunisia, who was trailing 1-0, oddly never came out of the tunnel. So I don't know whether it was a protest about how dodgy this guy is. And it was actually later stated that the referee had been suffering from heat stroke and dehydration. Oh, so he, he maybe was, was? Well, maybe. Yeah, it's match fixy, isn't it? But yeah. it's also since emerged that in 2018, he was suspended over allegations of corruption in an Africa Champions League semifinal. Yes, maybe more likely. Oh, dear. Yeah. I mean, I guess you have to give him some benefit of the doubt, given how hot it was, but yikes. Mm, mm, fishy. So to referee Jani Sakazwe, all I can say is bloody hell because in Zambia they speak English. And to the Tunisians for not coming out, Al-Jahim al Bloody hell. Bloody hell. All righty, Nath, it's time for the NFL. And I'm going to rub a bit more salt into the wind on <laughs> Carson Wentz. Uh, I should put my black clothes back on and go back into mourning. You should. I saw this just after we recorded last week, though. I had to mention it. Now, in the NFL, they often talk about QBR, which is your quarterback rating. It looks at the quarterback's contribution to winning, their, how they're able to impact a game on things like passing, rushing, turnovers, penalties, all that sort of stuff, as well as team success or failure. Perfect QBR is 100 Average is about 50. The top two guys in the league were unsurprisingly the MVP candidates, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, at about 68, 69. The MVP candidates who are quarterbacks? Well, yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, well, no, no. It's like the Brownlow. I mean, yeah. yeah. It will be one of them. Yeah. Hopefully, Rodgers, not Brady. Now, in the play in game against the worst team in the league, Carson Wentz had a QBR 4.4. Of 4.4. Yep. Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> that is bad. Yeah. Let's get on to some fun stuff. Coach sacking. <laughs> yeah, so I mentioned Vic Fangio last week. I don't know why I fixated on him. Maybe it's because everyone else was concentrating on Brian Flores. The Dolphins came home with a wet sail. Their defense was amazing. They started the season like absolute crap. They beat the Patriots, I think, head-to-head 4-2, I think is his record against the Patriots, which is their biggest division rival. I have no idea why the Dolphins sacked Flores. It's just another in a long line of bad decisions being made in Miami. And now he's the number one hot ticket item in the coaching carousel. So he'll probably land back on his feet straight away. But yeah, that one's really weird. Hmm. Now, the other one I want to talk about quickly, Shui, before we got into the playoffs. Maybe uh, maybe I'll phrase this. I'll, I'll see if you remember. Bit of trivia. Well, based on me not remembering Scott Fisher playing for the Wildcats after he retired, I'm not feeling... Oh, yeah, well, we'll talk about that when we get to the basketball. not feeling confident. How many teams play their home games in the state of New York? All right. Well, you've got the Giants. You've got the Jets. You've got the... 
Shit. <laughs> Buffalo Bills? It's not two and it's not three. It's one. The Buffalo Bills are the only team to play their home games in New York. Yeah, right. The Giants and Jets actually play in, in New, New Jersey. Jersey. Oh, of course. Yeah, true. So get this. And and one of my friends who's a Colts fan and we're sharing our sorrows together about the team. He listened to our show last week and he's like, oh, I'm surprised you didn't talk about the guy that's suing the league about the Jets and the Giants. So sure enough, there's, according to Larry McShane of the New York Daily News, there's a gentleman by the name of, and I apologize if I say this wrong, Abdiel Suero, who is seeking $2 billion in monetary damages and $4 billion in punitive damages. So $6 billion lawsuit that he's filed in the Manhattan Federal Court, demanding that both the Giants and Jets abandon MetLife Stadium in Joyzee and return to playing in New York by 2025. The lawsuit claims that Giants and Jets fans that live in New York have suffered, and I quote, mental and emotional damage, including depression, sadness, and anxiety as a result of the defendant's conduct. Well, Jets fans suffer all those things. Yeah, just because their team's shit. They're the yeah. Jets, yeah, yeah. And the, the Giants were shit this season too. But how's this? So the Giants have played in East Rutherford since 1976 and the Jets have been there since 84. So there's actually only been, even though there's two teams called New York, the only team that plays in the state of New York is from Buffalo. So there you go. So we'll keep an eye on that one. I can't imagine he'll win that one, but it's a fascinating story. The best frivolous lawsuit since say, the never-ending story was sued yes. or ending. I was about to say, define frivolous. Yeah, well. Far out. Yeah, bizarre. So yeah. there you go. Honestly. <laughs> oh, I bought a Slurpee and it didn't slurp me. It is weird though. Fancy being in a completely different state since the mid-70s. Mm. Mid-70s. Nearly 10 years before you and I were born. Yeah, but it would all just come down to the fact that the land over in New Jersey is probably a lot cheaper than it is. Well, and there's a lot of small states all packed in yeah. in a fairly small geographical... Yeah. This but is it. I mean, it's different to... The northeast. The, it's but, different to the Wildcats playing their home games in, like, the Northern Territory. Yes, yes. Because it would take you three hours to fly there or a day and a half to drive. Yeah. But it's obviously different because you can jump on a train out there, you can drive across and probably take you half an hour. Well, no, well, this is one of the things. He says it takes a bloody long time to get there. It's very difficult to get. I mean, the population, the oh, traffic. Get on the train. Well, apparently even the train's difficult. But anyway. Fly yeah. then, I don't care. So there's an interesting law. So I'm glad you stuffed up the trivia so I can use the family feud noises. At least I got the bills. Yeah, you did get the bills. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's it. one of my favourite yeah. pieces. Like whenever people ask me, because oh, like when the people find out I'm an MC at a quiz, they're like, oh, what are your favourite quiz questions? And that's one of my favourite ones. Yeah. How many teams play in the state of New York City? As that, yeah, yeah. And at least I got the team names right. I didn't go. Yes. Oh, the, the, the Yankees and the Mets, the, the Knicks, the point scorers, the point scorers. Oh yes. Oh, those those point scorers. Anyway, Wild Card Weekend is over and a mixed bag of results. Mm, my tipping was exactly as I expected. Yes, well, my... sadly, no, the Raiders did not win 26 to pie or whatever mm, you predicted. That was, yeah, look, it was outlandish. But there was a 26 in the game. The Bengals 26 defeated the Raiders 19 in a game that was, well, probably a little bit closer than people were expecting. This was hard to watch, let me tell you. So this is one of the games I watched in full, just full of penalties from start to finish. If it weren't a playoff game, I would have considered turning it off. But it did end. I mean, Vegas came very close to forcing overtime. Mm -hmm. So it was an interesting finish in the end in that sense. But yeah, it was a tough watch. I only watched literally the last minute and a half of the game. Right, right. So you saw that that final drive. I got to see the drive. I was excited thinking, oh, could it get to overtime? Could the Raiders actually do this? Yeah. No. No. 
No, they could not. I'll tell you what, though. And look, early in the game, the Bengals were looking really good and looked like they were going to win by three touchdowns. But but credit to the Raiders for kind of hanging in, hanging in, hanging in. But, oh, Joe Burrow, that guy threads the needle. Some of the passes he completes, very impressive. Very, the, the next generation of quarterbacks coming through the league is very exciting. The regrowth is very good. So, yeah. But I'll tell you what, this one was not without a, a very, very controversial moment. Yeah, no, it's true. Late in the second quarter, Joe Burrow's rolling out to the right, threw him an amazing pass and stayed in bounds, but there was an inadvertent whistle, touchdown called. The rule is the minute that whistle was blown, should be a dead, dead ball. Yep. And as we always say... You play to the whistle. You play to the whistle. And it's one of the first things you learn when you play team sport as a junior. The minute that whistle blows... Something's happened. Yeah. So it's a shame that it would have ruled out a very good passing catch, but there's no way that should have been given a touchdown. No way. And I'm just amazed that the people in the booth, look, I don't know if it's the rules, but if that's the problem, the rules should allow for that to be replayed. Yeah. Go back to the line of scrimmage, go again. Yeah. And I think it was a Murig the Raiders player, he did kind of look like he stopped. Like it's it's close. Yeah, and, you know, maybe... I don't think he would have made it. No, I don't think he would have he either. Looked, he but... looked like he was too far behind, but we don't know. Yeah. We'll never know. We'll never know. So well, Who knows? He might have dived. Like, yeah. So it's a shame. And look, yeah. I don't think, even though it was close, and even though the Raiders did have a shot at forcing OT, I don't think that was the reason the Bengals won. They were the better team on the day. Even if they'd replayed that down, they probably would have at least got a score out of it, a field goal, if not a touchdown. So I don't think Raiders fans can hold on to that one as some kind of... I was, I was seriously about to say, well, it's a good thing the game wasn't decided by... No, I, I honestly... Yet. Yeah, and there's another one of those games too that we'll get to. I do think the right team's won. Yeah. Oh, I think the, the right team won definitely, but... Oh, it's... It's a big, big, big blown call. It's, it's a shame when a bad umpiring decision happens in a playoff game yeah. because it's always under the microscope. Yeah. Huge win for Cincinnati. Their first playoff win in 31 years. So yeah, well, they, they were partying like they'd won the Super Bowl in well, there in Cincinnati. Yeah, the Raiders haven't won in 19 years. Yeah, well, there's, there's a few droughts out there. Mm. Yeah. Yep. So not good for them. Now the Bills, little known fact, they're the only team that play their home games in New York. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit well more well-known now. A little bit more well-known. Yeah. So, yeah. yes, the Bills 47 defeat the New England Patriots 17. Oh, so good. Would have only been better if Brady was playing for them. Oh, it was, it was delightful. The Bills scored a touchdown on every drive except at the end when they kneeled down to kill the clock. Amazing. Never happened before. No punts, no field goals. Wow. Believe the hype about Josh Allen. I've heard a few of the podcasts, not much uh, since the games, but... I did hear one, the ringers one, like, and they were gushing about him and they were gushing about him on PTI, but it's for good reason. He was magnificent. Throwing on the wrong foot, throwing on the run, running for large stretches. Oh, Things are going that well for him right now. His first touchdown, he was trying to throw the ball away. And, just, he, and he still throws a oh, touchdown. Fantastic. They're really peaking at the right time, yeah. the Bills. So... So, I'm yeah, hopeful. That was, that was crazy, though. Like, he's trying to throw it out of bounds and still hits Dawson Knox in yeah, the corner. Yeah, Dawson Knox played very well as well. It's, very well. Yeah, it's nice. yeah. I will say on that, actually, it, I got my attention brought to the fact that Kyle Duggar was playing with ridiculous cast. It was it basically looks like a club attached to the end of his hand. Yes. 
how can you be effective? So that would be weird and unusual to many, but it's actually more common in the NFL than you than you'd think. How do you catch a ball like that? Well, it, they're often guys at the line of scrimmage that are just there to block, basically, or yeah. wrap guys up with their arms. So they're not really catchers. They're, they're there to give guys bear hugs and push them around, basically. And poke them with a club. I mean, Jason Pierre-Paul famously blew off multiple fingers in a fireworks accident around 4th of July, I believe it was, and he's been playing with a club ever since. He actually won a Super Bowl with the Giants back in the day against the Patriots and last season with the Bucks. So it didn't seem to hurt his career. So, yeah, it's it's unusual, but okay. it's more usual in the NFL than what people would realise that, that don't follow it. Speaking of unusual, before we get into, obviously, how ridiculous this whole game was, did you see Fitzmagic shirtless? Yeah, it was like three degrees Fahrenheit, I believe. <laughs> and by the way, you can dispel the Josh Allen can't play in cold weather. I can understand why people are a bit iffy about him in cold weather, but he was brilliant. He was Absolutely brilliant. brilliant. And, and speaking of that Ringer podcast I heard, It was interesting to hear, and I don't know the guy's name, but he made a really interesting point that it seems like he might run a bit more in the playoffs. And it seems like maybe they said to him, look, in the regular season, we we are a Super Bowl team. We can win this whole thing. We don't want you running too much. We don't want you getting injured in the regular season. So it's going to be really interesting. Get injured in the playoffs. Well, I mean, the stakes are higher. You want to win. So if he's running more in the playoffs, they're very dangerous. Mm. Very dangerous. So I'm crossing everything that the Bills will be the Super Bowl champions this year. When I was a kid, so I flirted with a few teams. I picked the Colts in the end. The first team I kind of liked a little bit, though, was the Buffalo Bills back in the day. So everyone else picked the Dallas Cowboys. It was back in the day when the Bills lost four in a row. And I've always, if it's not my team, I go for the underdog. So I liked the Buffalo Bills as a really young kid in the early 90s. So, yeah, I'll be happy if they can keep going. Now, I just I quickly want to run everyone through, the, in case people haven't seen this, The first seven possessions, which is basically everything up until they started taking knees at the end. Yes, to kill the clock. Nine plays, 70 yards, touchdown. Ten plays, 80 yards, touchdown. Ten plays, 81 yards, touchdown. Four plays, 89, touchdown. Six plays, 58 yards, touchdown. Nine plays, 77 yards, touchdown. And three plays, 39 yards, touchdown. Yeah, good, sustained drives. It's ridiculous. Oh, it's, it's outrageous. To, to have that the record, many, even at five in a row, was the record, yeah. and they got another two after yeah. that. So yeah, but to have all but two of them over seventy yards, yeah, long drives, yeah, it is hard to continually move the chains. Oh, absolutely, all the time, yeah, yeah, especially in playoffs. Yeah, I did kind of want to get your opinion on something though. No, your ass doesn't look fat in those pants. Yes, it does. Oh, that's not your question. No, but oh, they, they do. No, okay, okay, go on. <laughs> they do. Both it's of that my, big there's, there's more than one both of my asses yeah you're like that monkey on South Park that <laughs> Mephesto cloned anyway sorry anyway so after the first touchdown the Patriots had managed to convert a couple of third and longs on their opening drive and it looked like Matt Jones had Nelson Aguilar open in the end zone and beautiful looking pass it's flying towards him he's waltzing in and then all of a sudden out of nowhere Michael Hyde comes flying in interception and then five minutes later, it's 14-0. Yep. Huge. Yeah, yeah. And and they were playing at home. So to be up two touchdowns at home is is significant. Is that moment game? Oh, in Just, hindsight, it's easy to say that. I mean, it's not insurmountable, 14 like nothing, the, but, the but it's huge. It's huge. It's huge. Yeah, yeah. The demoralizing nature with which you've just basically had seven points taken away from you and then 
waltzing straight well, it's up. It's a 14-point turnaround. And yeah. Mac Jones, a rookie, so, yeah, it, it could be quite dejecting. But to go 80 yards in five minutes, like chewing up that much clock, still getting the score. Making them pay. It's yeah, it's pretty tough. And how good is it listening to football with Iron Eagle? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's a great commentator. He is. Yeah, I, yeah. I would happily have him commentate my life. Uh, he is my favorite. The voice of NBA action. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of guys that do crossover from the NBA to the NFL. He's one of them that I just. Oh. I think he might do college too, actually, for CBS. Yeah, he would do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's, yeah. A, he's a jack, jack of all trades. A lot of a lot and of the a, commentators over there do lots of. Sport. And a master of most. Yeah, like, he is phenomenal. So yeah, I, anything with him is great. Now the Buccaneers thirty-one beat the Eagles fifteen. Yeah, I watched the start of this game. I mean, kind of as I predicted, it wasn't all that surprising. Jalen Hurts wasn't very good at all. Again, glorified running back who throws occasionally. That was probably a bit of a harsh call, but it kind of looked that way when you watched the game. Again, I didn't watch the whole thing, but it was over by halftime. Probably not a hell of a lot to say about this. Yeah. Well done, Tom. Well done. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Credit where credit's due. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. All right. A little bit more exciting this one. America's team lost. Huge. The 49ers, 23, defeat the Cowboys, 17. Yes. Now, unfortunately, I haven't got to watch all of this yet. I did get to see the end, which is very important, and we'll talk about that in a second. And I saw the start as well. I haven't got through the whole game. I will watch everything I haven't watched to date. I will finish. But, yeah, Cowboys disappoint again. It's what they do. It's what they're known for. You've seen what happened. Oh, yeah, I saw the end. So, obviously, the, the big moment came yeah. right at the end. Yeah, Anytime, let's fast forward to the end. Yeah. Th- this is the most important part. So there's what? So Dak Prescott's taken the snap with 14 seconds left and nothing opens up downfield. So he decides... Oh, there's a- well, they gave him the middle. Yeah, massive gap. Let's, yeah. let's run. As you would. And you would give him the middle. It's a stupid decision. But he's taken too much. So he got the first down and then some. He should. He never should have run. But- they had no timeouts. But you would make the slide. If he'd made the slide maybe three seconds earlier. Yeah, maybe. It's still very risky. But they piss farted around. He passed the ball to his teammate instead of giving it straight back to the, the referee. And all of a sudden, the time runs out and game over. over. Yep. So two or three seconds earlier, he maybe gets one more snap at Well, not maybe. He gets one more snap at it and you never know. Yeah, True. But, oh, God. But, they, they again, they gave him the middle for a reason because there was no time left and he was stupid to run. He should have thrown it out of bounds if he couldn't hit a receiver. Mm. It was a really poor decision. And the Cowboys fans were throwing rubbish at the refs as they walked off. Mm. Now, when Prescott found out about this in the press conference, they told him, and he said, a credit to them then. So he's blaming the refs. It's just, it's a poor attitude. They have no one to blame but themselves. They blew it. I'll I'll go to the great man, Tony Dungy, quoting his tweet from today. Concerning the Dallas Cowboys, let's forget the last play and the clock. Let's not, because they screwed that up. But anyway, anyway, how about giving up 169 yards rushing, giving up five sacks, completing less than 60% of their passes, running for only 77 yards. I believe it was only about 14 carries. And committing 14 penalties, that's more concerning than the last 14 seconds. And that sums it up. I mean, he's right, but at the same time... The, but the, Cow- the Cowboys fans have no reason. It is not the ref's fault. It's they didn't deserve to win. Plain and simple. So the big issue I have, just quickly going back to the, the comments that Prescott made about credit to them, if the league does not deliver him a hefty fine, 
there is something wrong. Yeah, no, you're right. That's inciting fans. Yeah, he should get a fine for that. Well, it's basically saying, as you said, the umpires did the wrong thing. It is, it's encouraging fans to do that. If you think the umpiring is terrible, throw shit at them. They're not human beings. They don't deserve any good treatment. These, yeah, these people are good, human. Yeah. And as we've already said, like the mistake wasn't with them. And look, there was some bad officiating. It does happen. You're right. They're human. The, I didn't think the Vegas-Cincinnati game was superbly officiated, to be honest. But it happens. That's a huge list of damning stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Dallas beat themselves. Absolutely. Including the decision to run there. Crazy. Mm. Absolutely crazy. There's no way Brady would have done it. There's no way Rogers would have done Brady, it. There's Brady, no way Manning would have Brady done it. Brady doesn't run anyway. Yeah, I know. But still, like, it just... Okay, even... Yeah, I... I Vince Young, maybe. <laughs> Again, though, would have been a bad decision. But but how's this? So this, he would have run for a touchdown. <laughs> well, that's what they needed. This is doing the rounds at the moment. Playoff wins in the last twenty-five seasons. Jake Delhomme five. Trent Dilfer five. Mark Sanchez four. Brad Johnson four. Colin Kaepernick four. Dallas Cowboys three. Yeah, America's team. I had a look at a few of these, and a lot of these guys only played in a couple of postseasons. Well, Delome, Dilfer, Johnson, Kaepernick all went to Super Bowls. So that's probably pretty much all in one season, yeah. just about. Well, that, but most of And those... Sanchez went to an AFC title game. Yeah. So, but like Kaepernick, he only played in two postseasons. Delome only played in two. I think Dilfer might have only gone to two as well. So it's, yeah, it's pretty damn, isn't it? The, the point is, though, that these are names. They're not good quarterbacks in many people's opinions. Except, even... well, Kaepernick was, was superb. Oh, yeah, yeah. Before I mean, all yeah, this shit yeah. happened. And yeah. Dilfer won one and Brad Johnson won one with Baltimore and, and Tampa Bay, respectively. But yeah, America's team, not that good. This is why you're losing America. <laughs> you said it. <sighs> now, the team that are going to struggle to make the playoffs, Nathan, the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> You've been holding on to that one. I have. <laughs> they did have a good run home. Any team, any team with that good a quarterback. Okay, he had a shit season. He didn't have a great season. No. But 42-21 over the now-retired Ben Roethlisberger's yeah, Pittsburgh Steelers. It, it is a shame that the Steelers got in because I think there's a number of teams that would have put up a better fight than them. Yeah. But, hey, it's what happened. How's this for a stat, by the way, Ben Roethlisberger? He became the third quarterback joining Dan Marino and Andrew Luck to start a playoff game as a rookie and then start one in their final season, hmm. 17 seasons apart. Yeah, right. So he had a tremendous career, but, yes, unfortunately not a, not a great game. And rounded out with another blowout. The Rams 34 defeating the Arizona Cardinals 11. Well, I'll jump on that blowout um, stats, Stewie. So the Patriots lost by 30, the Cards lost by 23, and the Steelers lost by 21. It's only the second instance in the NFL postseason where there are three teams with a losing margin of 20 or more. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. 20 is a big margin. And that's in the opening round, sorry. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. The so, only other time in 1982. Now, maybe we can put that down to the expanded games, playoff yeah. field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. But it's well. still it's still a big stat. Yeah. How's this being of big stats? Odell Beckham Jr., first player in postseason history with a 30-yard reception and a 30-yard completion in the same game. Not off his own pass. But no, look, the serious moment in this came pretty late in the third quarter. Real big thoughts and prayers with, with Butter Baker from the Cardinals really, really nasty-looking neck injury. He had to be stretched off. And unfortunately, he got run over by a pretty massive dude. Cam Akers. Yeah, he himself has only just come back from injury, Cam Akers. They thought he might not even play in this game. So So he's basically, he's hit Baker's helmet slash shoulder side on, 
spun him around. It looks, hopefully, it's just really bad whiplash. Yeah, but... yeah. I mean, they're always very careful with, with neck injuries in yeah. the NFL. The stretcher gets brought out pretty regularly, and luckily they do a better job with it than they do in that tweet I did from the AFCON. Did you see that one? <laughs> Anytime they stretch him off in soccer, it's just... Yes, he's had the Benny Hill music. Yeah, that's the only thing missing, yeah. But but no, this one, he went to hospital as well. Obviously precautionary at the very least, but it did not look good. No, not at all. Any time the arm goes stiff, facing straight up, that's, you know, it brings back memories of Jordan Lewis getting absolutely poleaxed, going back with the ball. Not good, not good. Injury to insult, really, wasn't it? Well, it was, yeah. Yeah. So where does that leave us next week, Nath? So big games next week. Some mouth-watering contests. So the Bengals get to play the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, that's going to be a really interesting one. I do have faith in the Bengals. They've got a middling defense, but as I say, Burrow is in really good form. And the way he's hitting passes at the moment, Jamar Chase, I mean, they've got some good receivers there in Cincinnati. As long as they don't get down too much too early... Because then they can, the Titans can just hand it off to Derrick Henry and, and kill the clock. So as long as, if it's a shootout, the Bengals have a chance. If the Titans get out to an early lead, then Tennessee will win. I have to pick Tennessee at home, but I'll tell you what, oh, it's tempting to pick the Bengals. It really is. Derrick Henry back, though, is what seals it. I think five touchdowns for Mariota. <laughs> He'll be lucky to play five snaps. But hey, we'll see. No, we will see. No, the Titans will win it pretty comfortably, I think. Now, the Green Bay Indian Packing Company Packers will play <laughs> the San Francisco 49ers. Yes, they'll be hosting the 49ers. I've got to go with the Packers at home. They have an excellent team. But the last four times the 49ers and Cowboys have faced off, the winner has ended up winning the Super Bowl. Mm. So if that holds, San Francisco will be holding the Vince Lombardi trophy. But no, I can't see it happening. I think the Packers will win at home. Yep. Yeah. All right, so a couple of touchdowns in it. Ten points, I'll say. There you go. Yep. Next, we've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the LA Rams. Oh, this could easily go either way as well. Oh, I really hope the Rams win. I really do. I think they've got a very good chance because the the Bucs are really beat up. They've got a lot of injuries. Yeah. I'm going to reverse psychology this one. Buccaneers by 48. He's unbeatable, Tom Brady. Yep. Definitely. Yep. We'll win everything. Lock it in. Yep. No chance, Rams. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck off, Rams. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Cam Akers is back. This could be a very interesting one. I look forward to it. I think this last one's probably the most tantalizing oh, for mouthwatering. Definitely. Kansas City Chiefs and the New York Buffalo Bills. I will be picking the Bills, even though they're on the road. I, it just feels like Buffalo's year. I tell you what, especially after that game against the Patriots. Something I really like this is a rematch. After the Chiefs beat the Bills last season in the playoffs, Stefan Diggs stayed on the field to watch the celebrations. I saw that. Just to soak it up and just to... The blood will be boiling there. I think the weather will be a little bit better. It can get snowy in KC. I'm picking the Bills. 17 all tie, double overtime, game-winning field goal kicked by Lubchenko. <laughs> Communications! <laughs> it's fake degree. <laughs> no, I, I, I think this one will be an all-time classic. Just, we can only hope. Just there's, got, there's every possibility. Put it this way. Based on my success rate last week, it's just, it's guaranteed. Well, you didn't pick any team to score pie, so you're already ahead of last week. Damn it. So, Shui, it's time for bed. The English have been put out of their misery. For those that don't know, that's a reference to the video with the, co- the cops turning up and, and who was it? Nathan Lyon, oh, Travis Head. Oh, that's what you refer to. Re- yeah, did you hear that? Like, one of the cops yeah. like, it's time for bed. <laughs> like, they've oh, been up partying God. all night. <laughs> 
<laughs> I had no idea what you were talking uh, about. Just yes, then. well, it's well and truly time for bed for the English. It's well, it's been a nightmare to follow the analogy, hasn't it? it but has. the Ashes are finally done. Four nil, all over. Yeah, and I have to say, it was a very, very different fifth test. It kind of seemed like an outlier in terms of the overall play, the conditions, everything. I genuinely thought England were going to win that one before they went into bat in the fourth innings. Well, I mean, 271. I just had a feeling. I don't know. I I was silly to think that. Well, I mean, you you could be forgiven. I mean, it's probably about as English conditions as you could pretty much manufacture. Miserable weather, cold temperatures, ball moving around. Pretty much the juke ball was the only thing that was missing. Yeah, yep. So I can understand why it would have looked like that. But I guess looking at the track record of the English, well, how did they go making scores of that size? That's right, yeah. Not particularly Struggled to score above 200. Well, six out of their 10 innings in that series, they failed to make 200 compared to just once for Australia. Yep. And it was also the first time since 1958-59 that they failed to make 300 in an entire series. But Stewie, it gets worse. England were docked eight points for a slow overrate. They only gained four for clinging on at the SCG by managing to hold on to that last wicket. This is from Matt Roller, by the way. I saw this on Twitter. So they'd be better placed if they'd forfeited all five tests and stayed home. Mm, would have been a lot colder, though. <laughs> True. So I guess Again, though, hats off to them for even coming out. Oh, because with the COVID shit going on, like, respect. Mad respect. Well, and with all, all the testing, all the other stuff. The quarantining, been... it's a nightmare. Yeah, like some guys have been away for like six, nine months. Yep. So it's, it's crazy. And poor Dawid Milan missed the birth of his child because his wife gave birth six weeks early. She's another Milan out too quick. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. But I have to ask the question. Did you enjoy this test? Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I yeah. fucking love it. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the day-night tests bring a lot of action. They often only last three and a half days, but they, they do bring a lot of action. I, I do like the day-night test. The, the reason I enjoyed it so much is that it kind of gave us a chance to see what would happen if the Aussies were right up against it. So three for 12 after 10 overs. Incredibly slow going. Balls hooping around a mile. Nobody can get runs. Wood bowling hand grenades. Yeah. And you you start looking at it thinking, all right, where's the next run going to come from? And that's that has been a rarity in this entire series. So you start thinking, okay, what's going to happen? Labashane's already been dropped. He should have been out for a duck. You've got Travis Head who's coming back in after missing the previous test. Oh, this is going to be slow going. And then all of a sudden they just flip the, the rear guard action. entire script on us. Yeah. And well, sometimes the best thing to do when you're up against it is to, is to I mean, it's it's a risky strategy. Play it like a T20. Well, it paid off. It paid off. So they've gone and made 71 off 74. And then the calamitous fall from Labashane right in front. The stick cricket. Yeah, dismissal. it was, it, I mean, I don't know what happened, but he's just obviously lost his balance and Broad finally put one on the stumps and there you go. Well, basically he said to Joss Butler, hold my beer. You think his dismissal is bad? Well, I mean, given the circumstances. Well, yeah, okay, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, but it, the way, like, yeah. It, it's certainly one that you'll remember, that's for sure. It's very unusual. And then, yeah, Cameron Green comes in. Yeah, oh, well, he was magnificent, absolutely. That was probably one of the types Big of innings. Well, it's the innings that I think we as WA folk were expecting from him. I couldn't believe, and look, we're guilty of it too. We were maybe stuck the boot into Melbourne United in the basketball too early, for example. But I couldn't believe that people were calling for his head after two tests. It's like, he's the all-rounder. He's got the spot. You've got to give him the full series, surely. Well, and he, prov- he produced in the end. I think the big thing is 
it's not just the potential with the bat and the ball. It's the fact that he fields so ridiculously well in that gully region. Oh, he's a great fielder. He would have saved, I reckon, at least 100 runs in that series just from stopping balls that would ordinarily go for four. Hundreds a lot. 25 fours, talking one a day, basically. Okay. No, yeah, I, okay. I, I can remember sessions where I'd seen him save three, three or four of them. Yeah, okay. okay. So it, it could be close to 100 runs. Like it, it seems like a lot, but I mean, realistically... He was there for all five tests and yeah, okay. he, he, yeah, he yeah. saved a lot. Only play to pick up 13 plus wickets, score more than 200 runs and take three or more catches in an Ashes before his 23rd birthday. His average with the bat and ball was absolutely magnificent. I'll tell you what, we don't need him to bat at three, but we're crossing our fingers. He's a bit of a Jack Callis type for us. Well, I mean, it's kind of looking that way. Ball's a really heavy ball, really, really great behind the, the wicket, basically. Any, anytime he's sort of back there, I mean, you can put him in the slip cord and he'll catch anything. And yeah, decent handy batsman who's just kind of working his way into the, the test career. I mean, it's early. You can't expect him to be making centuries every time he strides out. So. No, it, look, if, you, if your all-rounder gives you 30-odd runs and a wicket or two every innings, I think they've done their job. And anything on top of that is, is gravy. Hmm. So absolutely, I think he'll be a stalwart of the Australian team, hopefully, for years and years to come. And so that 121-run partnership was, yeah, just so crucial for the Aussies in terms of getting away from a score that looked like it might be maybe 120. Sort of thinking at three for 12, if we can get to 120 here, this is good. So to be able to push past that and... How is David Lyon? Well, this is it. (laughs) He didn't even bowl a ball. Bizarre. 31 off 27. Oh, the sixes. He went into someone's backyard. Mm. Oh, man. Good souvenir. So good. So good. And so 303 on the board looks like a very much above par score. In fact, probably comfortably above par, maybe close to 100 runs above. Oh, considering the way we started, it was a magnificent effort. Absolutely. But I have to ask him reply, why the fuck are England taking quick singles in the second over? Yeah. I mean, Burns had already been given a life when he nicked one that wasn't reviewed. So then be slow off the mark taking a quick single. It's, It's suicide. And sure enough... Minus Labashane. And I have to actually say this before I get into this. It amazes me sometimes just how quick at that level the ball goes from leaving the hand to hitting the stumps. He's a good few yards away and it's like a tenth of a second and it's there. Oh, he's a fantastic fielder. Very good. If you look at it slow motion, you sort of think, geez, like he's pretty close to the line already. And Minus hasn't even thrown it. And that ball catches up so damn quickly. So that's what you get at that level. Uh, it's just it's so impressive hell of a throw so here's a tweet from matt back at matt not front rory burns is the last (laughs) not front that's awesome rory burns is the last english opener to be run out in a test series since rory burns against new zealand in hamilton in 2019 prior to that the last english opener to be run out in a test was rory burns against sri lanka in gaul 2018 not a good runner no no No. well i think some of it's decision making too that too yeah, yeah, but he was a bit slow. I noticed on that one, there was just a tiny little skip before he planted the foot and went. And that was one of the things sometimes that, the slightest hesitation. When I used to do training, so I, I did a bit of training with the Wildcats youth team, and I tell you what, they were very, very keen on the whole idea of you plant and go. It's not plant, put your foot back, and then push off. That little split second is the difference between getting open or, in this case, making you ground. Oh, so, absolutely, huge. So. After that, look, it was a, it was an okay-ish start. I mean, guys were making runs. I mean, you looked at 
Milan made a 25, Root made a 34, Crawley made an 18. So they've all made Lots starts, of starts, yeah. But yeah. no one was able to go on with it. A poor decision by Ben Stokes. In fact, he was out the same way in both innings, caught Lyon, bold Stark. So not particularly smart. Thank God, in terms of the English, that they actually had a bit of a rearguard sort of front. Chris Wokes, 36. Billings, 29. He actually probably looked the most composed out of any of their batsmen. Yeah, no, he played quite well in debut. No, he did well. So they were able to scramble from a five for 85, six for 110 to actually make 188 and kind of look like they maybe had a slight chance. You kind of thought, oh, if they can come in here and skid all the Aussies for a, a low amount, okay. You just never know. But then it happened. An absolutely piss poor performance by the Aussies in their second innings. David Warner, second duck. Not a great test for him. How's this for a stat? And again, thank you, Swampy. First player to carry his bat and make a pair at the same venue. Saw that. Bill Reeve. I yeah. did say that. It is absolutely nuts. It is nuts. But the English had plans and they worked. You look at Marnus Labashain, they said, right, let's let's try bowling a little bit of short stuff and then we'll put it just, just back on a length and he, and he nicks off. Stephen Smith, let's try bouncing him, plays the short ball poorly. It's the same sort of stupid decisions that seem to get these guys out all the time. I mean, the New Zealanders started the bounces with Steve Smith and that was what was working for them. Wagner was able to get him out a couple of times in the series. And look, it makes Smith look... Human. I don't want to say ordinary, but yeah, human's probably the right way to put it. Yeah, no, he didn't have a great series, it's got to be said. No, he didn't. Well, I mean, they've said he hasn't had a century since... We've had one since the Ashes in 2019, which is very unsmith-like. And so... Yeah, we get to the second innings, 271 required, and you start thinking to yourself, all right, and I said this last week, if they can just get through that first 10 overs, they're a chance. Oh, they started well. I think the fact that they went in in that swinging night session didn't help, but they did start pretty well. Well, that's it. And and it's like anything. You've got to ride your luck early. You've got to be able to, you, you know, miss a couple just outside the outside edge. You've just got to hope that you don't nick one off. Look what happens, though. They get through that first 10 overs. They start looking comfortable. And, geez, had it not been for Rory Burns leaving his bat up a little bit too high, trying to leave one and edging on from Cameron Green, they'd be going in at none for 68 instead of one for 68. And then it just, from there, yeah. There were regular enough wickets. But they they really, at the end, it was like the barman called last drinks or something because they just collapsed like a deck of cards. It was terrible. I mean, 10 for 56 off 136 balls, that is hideous. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we, we always talk about those big moments and that little sort of, as I say, that little moment just before the tea break where Burns chops on, that is a moment that the Australians won. And from there, you look at the last nine partnerships, 14, 1, 9, 9, 6, 0, 8, 8, 1. Mm, it's woeful. It's disgraceful. And again, I talked about it last week. Stokes' temperament for the test level needs to get better. Mm. He's, he's supremely talented. He's got a lot of natural talent and ability, but sometimes he just doesn't dig in and he needs to. Well, that's it. I mean, poor hook shot straight down Nathan Lyons. Oh, I couldn't believe that one. I couldn't believe that he played right into their hands. But, I mean, you could make a case for a lot of them. Sam Billings tried to pull a ball forward a square and hit it straight to Pat Cummins. I think really the only person you could probably give a pass mark to in terms of their dismissal was Joe Root copped one from Boland that basically pitched Stayed half, low, yeah, pitched half yeah. way down and just kind of rolled. Yeah, yeah. So you can kind but of... That was just one of those, yeah. Yeah. You, fourth innings kind of, yeah. You give him that. So yeah, as you kind of said, they folded like a deck of cards. It was not a particularly great day if you're an Englishman. I mean, obviously for us as Aussies, it was great to watch. 
but you kind of wanted a little bit more fight than that. Yeah, um, I mean, it was entertaining. I think that Joe Root would be better off not being captain. I think he'd play better. But the problem is, who do you give it to? There's no one. There's no one banging down the door. Yeah. So. Billings? <laughs> no, I'm, like, I'm actually being half serious. Well, yeah, you've got to give him a few matches Yeah, first. well, I mean... <laughs> I mean, he he had the best energy out of any of the Englishmen in the entire series. And maybe he had the most to prove. And that was didn't he? He drove like nine hours or something after being called up from the Big Bash, basically. Mm. So yeah, no, oh, great effort, honestly. I, he was probably one of the few that I was really impressed with. Mark Wood, I thought, was spectacular throughout the Wood entire, was excellent, yeah, entire series. Yeah, but no, he's great to watch. There, there weren't many of them. So a couple of other things to talk about: the slips, Corden. Yeah, in that fourth test, they were almost silly slips. Basically touching each other. Oh, it was arms. incredible. It was but yeah, in the, it kind of carried on in the fifth test a bit, didn't it? Well, did you see the scenes before the start of play where Shane Warne and Adam Gilchrist were actually out with Smith and Carey talking to them about the positioning and about the distance? Right. No, I can't say that I did, but... It was very interesting. I'm sort of looking at it thinking, hmm, should they be doing that as members of the media? Right. I don't know. Is, the, is it... I, look, I don't know. It's could be completely above board. But to me, I look at it and I think, should they be getting involved with that sort of thing? Oh, well, I don't know. It's probably a... If the field positions are such that they're abnormal, I would have thought it was an obvious question to ask. Hmm. So... uh, But to actually be out on the ground, I I, I did. I just thought that's... mm, Not not entirely sure about that. But anyway, it didn't really seem to make a huge difference anyway. They're all still there. Thankfully, Alex Carey had a better match with the gloves. Yes. No drops. Absolute screamer towards the end. As no well. blown runouts. Yeah. Yeah. So very, very good. But the Aussies weren't perfect in the field. There was one where Smith dived for one that was Kawaja's, I think, from memory, that was ending up in a drop. Anyway, you can't get them all, I guess. Did want to pose a question to you about David Warner. So we've already spoken about the two ducks, the drop catch. He had three in the second innings in Sydney. Ordinarily, the thought wouldn't even cross my mind, but. He's not been great in the back end of the series. He's 35 now. And the conventional wisdom is you always pick him in Australia. Do you pick him in the subcontinent? I would, because who's the alternative? Mm. That's the problem. So he's still great in the field. He can bowl leggies. I think you've got to at least start with him. But, I mean, what's the alternative? Marcus Harris, he's been pretty shit. When was the last time that David Warner bowled in a test? I mean... Oh, well, it's just nice to have the option. I don't expect an answer because it's probably been that long. Oh, look, it's very rare. But I I don't know. Let's say, for argument's sake, one of Marnus or Smitty get injured or both of them. or You know what I mean? It's just nice to have have that option. Yeah. I dare say, though, if we weren't having these issues at the top, he might be under a lot more pressure right now. Oh, no, I I think you're right. I think it's a it's a question that previously would have been scoffed at. But I do think it's a legitimate question. Just my answer to it is, what's the alternative? And I don't think there is a viable one. Oh, I agree. And he does play spin too. So he's got to be a walk-up starter to the first couple of tests. Now, if he fails in them, then it gets really interesting. Mm. (laughs) I don't know, unless someone in the shield knocks down the door. Now, moving to after the game, I did want to talk about the celebrations afterwards. So David Warner brings up the champagne, starts shaking it up and spraying it. You saw Usman Khawaja sprinting out of screen because he is Muslim. Yes, We've seen this a number of times. There were a couple of Yeah, well, we talked about it with the English. Yep. So, obviously, brilliant to see Pat Cummins as a captain tell the boys to put him away so Usman could join them up on the... Yeah, he waves him up. I think he himself put it away, didn't he? And then he waved him up. Yeah. 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 Oh, look, he's a great captain already, isn't he? Like, he's there's a lot of good things in the right column for him. Is it frustrating, though, that that was a bit of an afterthought for everyone except for Cummins? 
Oh, I think in the heat of the moment, Kawaja wasn't even in the team at the start of the series. I think they can be forgiven. Mental lapse? Yeah, I think I think the, the right outcome happened. I guess the difference is they weren't showering him with it, which is, I think, what we had the issue with Yeah, for the, the those English guys yeah, up on the yeah. balcony. Yeah, 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 and that might have been... I think that was one of our very first episodes. I think that was back in 2020, it actually. might have been, yeah. Yeah, I, I look, I, I saw Osman's tweet. He basically said, thank you, they did the right thing. So he's clearly not bothered by the fact that they started with it. So mm. I don't think it's a major, yeah. And I did see in the celebrations, the boys are all out at one of the pubs and Kawaja was there, seemed happy, didn't really seem to be having any issues. Obviously didn't have a beer in hand or anything yeah, like that, right. but um, certainly seemed like he was comfortable enough celebrating with them there. So that's, that's a good thing. Hmm. So a couple of takeaways from this series. For me, certainly for the English, Billings absolutely has to be, certainly for the next three to five years, he has to be the project as far as behind the stumps. I think his energy... I think the way that he positioned himself, caught really well, he bats pretty well. He's the sort of guy I think they need to look at. I, I don't think that Butler's the answer. No, no, no. Certainly not as a keeper anyway. So No, I agree with that. That's certainly one. You want a specialist keeper. Absolutely. And I think Bairstow, when he's fit, absolutely needs to be there. I think he was their second best batter in this entire series behind Root. And I remember when I was a kid, Richie Benno always used to say, keepers that can bat are basically all-rounders. Absolutely. And I never really appreciated it until I got older, until I've seen more bad ones. Mm-hmm. And it, some of it is the influence of short form and T20 and stuff. Speaking of that, hopefully one of the silver linings to come out of this is hopefully the 100 dies pretty quick as a result of this. Hopefully it's a casualty of what's been a disastrous tour, let's face it. Mm. Yeah. Now, looking at the spinner side of thing, I heard Shane Warne talking about Mason Crane. He kind of almost has to be an all-in option for them right now. Don Best, Jack Leach, they're not working right now. Crane's only really had one shot in Australia where, of course, he's going to get tonked. Try him at home. Try him at the subcontinent. Oh, of course. Let the Try chips... him against a lesser team. Yeah, yeah, yeah let, absolutely. Let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah. So I think that's absolutely the right thing. And then, yeah, you did mention it before. I probably should have brought this up a little bit, bit earlier, but another great tweet from Sir Swamp Thing. This is talking about the whole Nathan Lyon not bowling thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. There have only been five completed test innings where Nathan Lyon hasn't bowled. Two of them were in this match. Yeah, right. <laughs> of course, because he didn't bowl for the match. In fact, three of them have been in this series. Yeah, bizarre. So yeah. he had... 24.3 overs against South Africa and Newlands in 2011. 21.2 overs versus India, Adelaide 2020. This is the length of the innings, by the way. And, that, and it makes sense because you don't even get to the spinners. Exactly. Yeah. 27.4 overs versus England, Melbourne 2021, which is late last year. And then you had the 47.4 and 38.4 overs versus England at Hobart. So this is actually the first time an innings of more than 28 overs has not featured Nathan Lyon. Yeah. Amazing. It is amazing. And it goes to show how well the, the bowl was bowled. Cameron Green is that sort of, in inverted commas, part-time, you know, as, as the all-rounder. Look, he bowled spectacularly. Scotty Boland, everyone's already saying, put up a statue of him outside, <laughs> outside the MCG. Yeah, he's very popular with the Tassie folk as well. Yep. I mean, who would have thought that the dominance with the ball would be that high with Josh Hazelwood playing one test and, and Cummins playing four. So these guys are all missing tests. Oh, the next man up thing. Everyone produced. Ridiculous. Yeah, good signs. Now, one more random question to round out the ashes. At four for 100 off 27 overs on day one, Fox Cricket put up Winviz. <laughs> How dumb is that? Yeah, that's ridiculous. Why would you put up Winviz when you're only halfway through, not even halfway through, yeah, yeah. through the first inning? Yeah, yeah that's bizarre. It's, 
and how dumb is it the Aussies were fifty seven percent at that stage? Yeah, they yeah. Just I don't understand. There's no bloody need for it. <laughs> keep the win vis for the T twenties. Yeah, or towards the very end of the match. Yeah, yeah. or at least yeah, exactly. second inning. Second inning. Yeah. So. So we move on to the ladies' ashes next, which is a combination of obviously some short form and a test. Unfortunately, the Aussies have been dealt a blow. Beth Mooney, broken jaw today in training, I believe. So that's a big out. And there's already a couple of other outs. So you can safely assume, even if it weren't for the injuries, that the English women will put up much better fight than the English men did. Oh, it goes without saying. But having Mooney out potentially is... Well, broken jaw, that's probably the whole series. Potentially. Depends so, Depends what sort of protective gear they true, give her. But yeah, it's a, it's a big loss. I mean, she's fantastic in the field. Brilliant batter. One of the best in the entire world. So very, very difficult to replace. But you know... Good in the field. Yeah, look, yeah. And that's very fresh news. So more will come out probably by the time this is released. And edited. Typical, yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, constant news cycle. (laughs) Is what it is. But, yeah, yeah, hopefully it'll make for a slightly more competitive series. I reckon it will. I think the English will be well in with a good shout. Yep. Another thing going on at the moment is the Under-19 World Cup. So the Aussies beat the West Indies and lost to Sri Lanka in their two games so far. One game left against Scotland. Pretty poor net run rate so far. We probably need to de-kilt the Scots, which <laughs> hurts me as my second team. But, uh, and then we've got to hope that Sri Lanka beat the West Indies as well. Well, so it's very possible. It is possible. And then heading over to India, after being stripped of the ODI captainship in what seemed to be acrimonious circumstances. In the bottom of a press release, yeah. He's now stepped down as the test captain, Virat Kohli. So out he goes. And he's, his record is impeccable as a test captain. His win-loss record, his stats, everything is magnificent. But he's done. So there you go. Went out yelling at the stump mic. To- well, that's <laughs> what I was going to mention next. And where's the consistency? So... They were yelling into the stump mic basically, well, no, basically about it. They were accusing the South Africans of cheating using the technology. And yet Hazelwood says, who the fuck is the third umpire, for example, that gets caught in the stump mic and he gets suspended, but the Indians get no reprimand at all for accusing the media of cheating for their home team. That's outrageous. Who, BCCO, who yeah. runs the world? Yeah, yeah. Them. Yes. Yeah, it's, oh. it's pretty piss poor, to be honest. It's very piss poor. And so, yeah, after losing the series over there, as you say, step down. There's already been a little bit of a list released in terms of the likely candidates for the job. You've got Rohit Sharma, who is now the ODI captain, getting on a little bit now. So you have to kind of wonder, is that the right move? But then he's got the job in the ODI, so maybe it kind of makes sense. Yeah, well, maybe it's just an obvious change, yeah. You've got KL Rahul. He seems a little bit quiet to me. So I don't know, but sometimes the quiet ones are... The most tactical. Well, Smitty isn't a rah-rah kind of guy. There's a lead by example type. There's different types of captain. Yeah. Yeah. Ajinkya Rahane has kind of been in and out of the side a little bit. I'm not sure about that one. Jasper Bumra, a little bit younger. Rare to give it up to a bowler. I mean, I know Cummins has it. And and maybe they look at the success that we've had with Pat Cummins. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Uh, I think a worse person. Kapil Dev. Yep. I think of a lot worse. Wazim Akram. It does happen. Hmm. So, yeah. And then Ravi Ashwin was the other one. I'm not entirely sure about that either. So, yeah, I'd say between Sharma and Boomer for me. But we will soon see, I guess. Yeah, uh, I don't know about Boomer. Yes, we will see. Mm. We will see. 
And then just to round out the cricket, Ramiz Raja has come out with a very interesting little idea. I'm not sure how you're going to feel about it, Nate. Well, actually, you, you're very sure. Yes, I, like, <laughs> yes, I'm entirely sure. As will our regular listeners. So he's he said in a tweet, Hello, fans. We'll propose to the ICC a Four Nations T20I Super Series involving Pakistan, India, Australia and England to be played every year to be hosted on a rotation basis by these four. Do I need to even ask for your thoughts, Nate? Well, first of all, where the fuck's New Zealand in that list? They made the bloody final at the T20 International. Mm-hmm. And where the fuck are they going to fit it in the... Look, I like Ramiz Raja as a commentator, but that's lunacy. That's fucking stupid. No, I agree. There's no time for it as it no, is. No, it's like, really? And what what's the benefit for... Well, I, I know it's a phrase I keep uttering, but how many more cuts in the thousand to, to the death of Test cricket will that lead to? Mm. I mean, why? Why? Yeah, that's it. I mean, you've got a T20 World Cup. That's the sort of time that you, yeah. you play those rotational sort of... Yeah, I, I don't there's see... There's the IPL. There's domestic competitions all around the world. There's already too much T20 in the calendar. What, you want to fit more in at the expense of other teams and at the expense... I read the tweets from the Icelandic cricket. Actually, yeah, where's Iceland on that list? <laughs> no, but but they made a good point. They'll never improve if they don't get a shot. So what, are you going to add, add another class system where you only allow four teams again at the expense of New Zealand, I think it's a terrible idea. Terrible. So tick from Nathan? Yep. Yep. Good on your right, Remis. <laughs> oh, dear. And we'll talk about the Big Bash next week. Yep. Finals time. Go to the yeah, Scorchers. Yeah, so I'll actually watch a few games. Yeah. So as expected, the Scorchers finish on top. The Sydney Sixers and Thunder finish tied. The Adelaide Strikers fourth and the Hobart Hurricanes on 27 points. That's right. The new format. So And look, it's a trend in world sport where more than half the competition makes the finals. Mm-hmm. So they'll it's uh, the everyone gets a trophy yeah. generation. So they'll they'll square off with Adelaide in the participation. <laughs> but yeah, we'll talk about that more and I'll actually watch the games because it's finals time. Woo! And now, this week in sport history. January 15th, 1997, Chicago Bulls forward Dennis Rodman kicks cameraman Eugene Amos in the groin during a game against the Minnesota Timberwolves. With 3.46 left in the third quarter, Tom Gugliotta missed a free throw and Rodman and Kevin Garnett began fighting for the rebound. Along the way, Rodman ended up in the row of cameramen before lashing out at Amos. Amos looked okay before collapsing into a heap and being stretched off. The whole reason for Rodman lashing out was because he stepped on a camera and was annoyed at how close the camera was and the potential for injury. And let me tell you, this guy hammed it up like he was Neymar. Amos, <laughs> Amos pressed charges against Robin for intent to assault with the possibility of fifth-degree assault charges and jail time. Robin agreed to pay Amos $200,000 out of court. The charges were dropped. The league then suspended Robin without pay for 11 games, with the whole incident costing him about $1.1 million. The most amazing thing about this whole incident, though, is that Robin didn't even get hit with a technical foul for the outburst. Compare that to the time Tim Duncan was ejected for laughing on the bench. <laughs> it makes no sense. Oh, those quick fire texts last week as well that we talked about. Yes. Yeah. Oh, as a major Robin fan as a kid, this one I just couldn't defend. Nah. It was, no. I hated this one. It really was bad. Yeah. January 17th, 1988, the Denver Broncos defeated the Cleveland Browns 38 to 33 in the AFC Championship at Mile High Stadium in Denver in a finish featuring one of the most infamous plays of all time. In fact, according to NFL Films, what has been dubbed the fumble was actually voted the second worst play in NFL history behind only the Seahawks' choice to pass rather than hand off to Marshawn Lynch against the Patriots in that famous Super Bowl. Why? Anyways, back to this one. 
Browns running back Ernest Biner had a chance to bring Cleveland within a point with just a minute 12 remaining as he bullied his way towards the end zone, but blew it when he fumbled the football at the three-yard line. Now, Denver had the best home record of any team in the league over the previous four years, and by halftime had built a 21-3 lead. But the Browns slowly fought their way back, and late in the third quarter, Biner scored on a 32-yard pass completion, and then again on a four-yard rush for consecutive touchdowns to bring it back to a four-point game. The game seesawed a bit in the fourth, but ultimately, a Sammy Winder touchdown would prove the difference prior to Biner's fumble. Interestingly, though, Broncos head coach Dan Reeves, may he rest in peace, he recently passed instructed punter Mike Horan to take an intentional safety rather than punt out of his own end zone, meaning that the Browns did actually have one last chance, but the Hail Mary was unsuccessful. The biggest shame of all of this, though, is that if it weren't for Brunner's Herculean efforts prior to the fumble, we wouldn't even be talking about this, which is partly why some dispute it being the second worst play ever. Brunner had 187 total yards from scrimmage for the game to go along with two touchdowns and teammate Webster Slaughter was meant to have blocked the Jeremiah Castile tackle who got the strip and caused the fumble. Super Bowl XXII would take place two weeks later with the Broncos being absolutely pummeled by the then Washington Redskins 42-10 despite going in as favourites, thanks largely to a 35 to nothing second quarter. It was the Broncos' second Super Bowl loss in two years and they would lose 55-10 two years later as well, with Elway seemingly always being the bridesmaid but he did finally get his fairy tale breaking through for wins in both 97 and 1998. They, of course, also won in 2016. It wasn't all bad news for Biner, though, who was traded to those same Washington Redskins and was a part of their Super Bowl 26 winning team in 1992. I actually watched a 10-minute video with Biner reliving that whole game. And you can see that even 30 years on, it still pains him so much. It's, I mean, you would probably still struggle to look at footage of that, but oh... Yeah, well, when you think about it, I mean, I, I still struggle with the Spurs loss to the Heat, and I'm just a fan. Mm. So and Walter Payton famously didn't get a touchdown run in the 85 Super Bowl, and he still, to his last day, was, was lamenting that fact. So, yeah. January 18th, 1983. Now, we have spoken a bit about this one on a previous This Week in Sport, but this is the resolution of an issue we spoke about. So the IOC officially restores Jim Thorpe's 1912 Olympic gold medals from the pentathlon and decathlon 70 years after he was stripped of them for being paid $25 in a semi-pro baseball game. Unfortunately, this was just shy of 30 years after he passed away, so he was actually never able to enjoy them. I'm not sure if we mentioned this, though. Thorpe was actually the first Native American to win an Olympic gold medal and one of the most versatile athletes of all time. On top of winning the gold medals, he also played professional baseball, collegiate and professional football, including three championships with the Canton Bulldogs. In fact, in 1907, he walked past a track in Carlisle and beat all the school's high jumpers in street clothes. <laughs> Thankfully, though, the IOC was able to right this wrong. It's just such a shame when these things happen after posthumously, isn't it? Yeah. They don't get to celebrate the... What an athlete, though. Wow. Oh, phenomenal. January 21st, 1958, the St. Louis Hawks forward Bob Pettit becomes the first member of a losing team to win the MVP of an NBA All-Star game after scoring 28 points and grabbing 26 rebounds in the West 130 to 118 defeat. The only other times this has happened was Julius Irving in 1977 when the East lost by just one and Magic Johnson in 1990 when the West lost by a little bit more, 17. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? I, I looked at the box score, certainly of the 1991, and the Magic one just, just so happened that the Eastern Conference was just everyone scoring 12, 13 points, and Magic had a few more. But That yeah. wasn't the AIDS comeback? No, that, no was, that was a few years that later. That was 92. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there you go. 
And January 21st, 1986, 100 students from Purdue University participate in the Nude Olympics race in 38 degree Fahrenheit weather. That is three <laughs> degrees Celsius for anyone who's uh, not in America. Shrinkage. Despite threats of expulsion from the university, 2,000 people showed up to watch the run, which occurred just before midnight. One runner lost his balance and fell into the crowd, colliding with, of all people, Police Chief John Wood. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the Dean. <laughs> well, just as bad. Another student was charged with public intoxication, although it's not clear if that student was racing. There were meant to be more people racing, but with the cold, the field shrunk, and the competition in the race was not said to be stiff. <laughs> There's two incredibly bad jokes. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, they were frigid, but they probably weren't frigid. No, they were not. This Week in Sport History. So it seems kind of odd saying this, Nath, but we might actually have a little bit less basketball than usual. Well, like I said at the top, we're going to go hard on the basketball soon enough, so it doesn't hurt if we go a little softer this time. But good to see the NBL back in full swing. Full-ish. Full-ish, yeah. Uh, only, what, one postponement this week? Yeah, we've well, heard, yeah. Heard yeah, Tassie and New Zealand. We'll see. Hmm. We'll see. That's oh, good that New Zealand had a game taken on. They're <laughs> flying away with it. Hey, us. they're on a winning streak, mate. One. Yeah, still a streak. <laughs> That's better than the Wildcats, I guess. Exactly, exactly. So, obviously, you've mentioned that you didn't get a chance to see a whole lot of it. No, I saw a little bit here and there. I watched the full Wildcats game today, but, yeah, not a hell of a lot. I've got a few things that I've taken away from this weekend. I've narrowed it down to six, and I kind of wanted to run through those with you. Things that I think potentially will either impact the season massively moving forward or could just be things that teams maybe need to look at. Okay. So the first one I think is fairly obvious. COVID fatigue is absolutely a thing. Yes. Now, we saw that firstly in the Brisbane Southeast Melbourne game over the weekend. This is a championship caliber team in the Phoenix and the Bullets made them look second rate right from the opening tip-off. 31 to 6 at quarter time. That's criminal. And yeah. they were lucky that they got to six. Yeah. Oh, there's been some weird results and weird even quarters this season. But the thing that I found really weird about it was that it just looked straight away like the fitness level and the conditioning of the Phoenix wasn't there. Like they couldn't keep anyone in front of them. Tyrrell Harrison dominated inside against Joe Chi. Nathan Sobey hit some shots, which hasn't really happened much this season. Anthony Drimmick hit some shots. They, they cruised, absolutely cruised. And you had guys drifting in and out of the game basically for the phoenix so uh, ruben tarangi was kind of his usual self drifting in and out xavier mumford a little bit joe chi played like four minutes in the first half guys just didn't look like they had their legs and at one point they got beat on a backdoor cut by jason kiddie <laughs> one of your favorites and usain bolt he is not <laughs> like cam glidden got broken down off the dribble by anthony drimmick who is not a quick guy either so it's, it's not great. Brisbane went through the same thing a week earlier when New Zealand beat them. They got off to a horrible start and then basically couldn't quite get back into it. Mm, we, sounds familiar. Yeah, today as we, well. yeah, we saw it in the Wildcats game. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Bryce Cotton and Vic Law both on the bench for a breather within four minutes. Yes. That never happens. Yeah, the two leading scorers in the comp as well. Yeah. It's very rare that they'll be sitting that early. Exactly. Definitely. Yeah. And so the other thing with the legs is that it impacts your shooting. So you look at the three-pointers, Adelaide 9 of 13 from deep early, the Wildcats 1 of 15 at the same time. I think it was 1 of 17 before they hit their second. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's not good. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and you know, just like these other games, after quarter time, the rest of the game was fairly even. So it's kind of taking teams 10 minutes to get into it. But by that stage, the game is all but over. So this is why these long layoffs aren't really fair unless both teams are coming off the same sort of break. Well, yeah, it's just, it's 
like I say, 2022, it's another asterisk year. If we want to get the games done, we've just got to get them done. There's been talk of replacement players. It's not going to be totally fair. Who knows when Perth will have another home game? I know they're scheduled, but things could change very quickly. We'll, we'll There's see. Code Brown in Melbourne for the hospitals. I didn't even know that existed until today. Do you know, so, do you know Code Brown at public swimming pools means there's a poo in the pool? Yes, I did. I did. And if it's Paul Pierce in the playoffs, um, it means something else as well. It means, yeah. yep. <laughs> there you go. Who was it? Someone that came out recently and said players shit themselves more often than people realise? Yeah. What a bizarre thing. That was weird. Anyway, yeah, we, we don't need to go too far into that. So moving on to Sydney. One way or the other, I didn't get the feeling that RJ Hunter was going to see out the season. And it fucking sucks that it comes because of a ruptured patella tendon. 59 yeah. seconds into his comeback game. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. heartbreaking. Just one of those real innocuous non-contact push-off injuries. It's such a shame not to see if the Kings and Hunter could have melded properly. Just... You want guys to have a proper shot. Yeah. Yeah. But I think what disgusted me the most about this was hearing that the Hawks fans were yelling stuff out at him while he's being helped off the court. Like, this is likely going to cost him his job. Yeah. Uh, if a guy's injured, why why say anything? It's done. Mm. Your team has a better chance because one player's gone. I don't know why fans engage in this behavior. It's it's sad. It's disappointing. And, and it's not even like Hunter has a history with the Hawks. No, that's where, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's he, barely suited up. Like, the, I mean, okay, again, I don't necessarily agree with it, but the fans that were laughing when Kevin Durant did his um, did his Achilles because it's like, well, you fucked over OKC and, and whatnot. But Hunter's done nothing. Like no. he's, he's barely even played in the league. So no, I don't, no. I just, All he's done is share the name of an obscure ABC children's show with that Yeah, the, the, ma- the, ma- the mouse. Yeah, the, the mouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. CC, computer cat. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. There's an obscure reference yeah. for anyone out there. Well, we're going hard on the pop culture the last we, couple we, of episodes. We really are. <laughs> I've got a question for you about Sydney issue. So I didn't see this game, but on social media, there's a lot of talk about the rotations and substitution patterns. And apparently... Xavier Cooks got taken off when he was dominating. And a lot of people say that had he stayed on the court, maybe Sydney would have won. Do you agree with this? I think Buford is a horrendously bad coach. I really do. I know he's got the pedigree, but I've not seen a lot that gives me confidence that he has the respect of the group. I don't really understand his substitution patterns. I don't understand the fact that, and we mentioned this in that massive blowout they had against Melbourne United. No. Oh. The shot selection sometimes, you know, the execution down the stretch, he doesn't seem to have any control over it. He doesn't seem to give them any sort of direction in terms of which way to go. I, I honestly don't believe that he has that locker room. And, Interesting. And it's a problem. Is it a square peg round hole kind of situation? <sighs> you persist on this seven seconds or less offense. It doesn't work though. It doesn't work. They don't have, you've got Vasiljevic, who's a great shooter. You've got Martin, who's patchy. And but Martin's not going to enter a track, mate. That's not what he wants to do. Well, this is the other thing, yeah. yeah. And, and then it just means that Jalen Adams is having to go one on three because no one else can get back with him. So I, I don't think it's the right play. I think one of the things you see with Sydney is they really have a lot of the wrong guys taking the wrong shots. They're absolutely horrendous when it comes to guys that are on fire or guys that are cooking. They never feed them the ball. Like Xavier Cook should be able to go one on one against anyone from New Zealand. He's too quick for Yanni Wetzel. He's too big for... Finn Delaney. Finn Delaney, yeah, thank you for... Yeah. Thank you. I had Thomas Abercrombie in my head. I couldn't, well, yeah, yeah. couldn't get to Finn Delaney. <laughs> but he's, that's the thing. He's too big for one. He's too quick for the other. And they didn't go at that mismatch. So I just... I don't understand. 
and all of a sudden you just see them in close games. They execute poorly. Oh, yeah, that was... You've, that, you've mentioned it. That's been my big thing with them. Down the stretch, they really don't execute. Yeah. It, it just becomes a lot of hero ball. They stop running proper sets. And, yeah, I mean, you look at this, and this was my third point, was that the Violet Crumbles live on. <laughs> yes, I saw that during the rounds on socials yeah. too. Yeah. New Zealand were absolutely getting smashed. And then they let the breakers close on an 18 to one run the last five minutes, 26 of the fourth quarter. That's, that's a choke. It's pathetic. Yeah. It's absolutely pathetic. And look, don't get me wrong. New Zealand executed the living shit out of it. Jeremiah Martin, who, as I said, I badmouthed him at the start of the season. He has absolutely come good in the last fortnight. He has stopped jacking up all the threes he was taking. He's running pick and rolls with Yanni Wetzel, which means he can get downhill. Oh, use Wetzel, yeah, yeah. yeah. Getting to his floater game. If Wetzel's not cooking and he didn't play well at the start of this, he couldn't make anything. But Martin was getting in and really getting into the teeth of the defense. And look what happens. It then opens up the rest of the game for Finn Delaney. And Delaney had 21 and 9. Best game he's played all season. Yeah, well, that's good to say. So, yeah, I, I think, honestly, to answer your question, I think Buford is just he's just not a good coach and it doesn't help that both hunters are injured so jordan hunter's out for the season too so yeah that's that's not good it, it doesn't but i mean they're just not using the weapons that they've got they still have weapons and they still could hurt teams so yeah and just quickly one other thing with new zealand oh Dian looks horrible yeah so everyone talks him up as this future nba superstar let alone good player i don't think he's an nbl player he's timid he's timid yeah he, he's afraid of contact. I mean, okay, he's super skinny and it is a man's league and it's a physical league, but he is timid. He does not like the contact. Yeah. And if he wants to play in the NBA, he's got to get used to that. So, okay, yeah, he needs to put some some size on, but yeah. He's shooting like 19% from three. Yeah. He, he relies on the three a lot. Yeah. Again, I think because he doesn't like the contact. But yeah. if, you, if you can't shoot a three, don't shoot. That'd be like me trying to rely on dunking the ball. <laughs> something I cannot do. So just don't try it. Maybe you need Scott Roth as his coach and just get buried on the end of the bench. Well, <laughs> yeah, geez, give uh, Nikita Mikhailovsky someone to talk to at the end of the bench. Uh, it's it, Honestly, it's not a good fit. And the thing is, they're starting to get a little bit of production out of Peyton Siva. He looked exponentially better this weekend. Well, he scraped off the rust from that injury now. He, so. he did. Yeah. So, so he's starting to find his spots in the offense. He's making some shots, which helps. So as New Zealand start getting a lot more of this production, I mean, whether they keep Martin and Siva off the bench and, and run with Dieng and McDowell White and these sorts of guys who really aren't giving them a whole heap. McDowell White started the season well, but he he just drifts in and out of games. You barely see him. He's a bit of a microwave, yeah. Mm. yeah. So I'll tell you what, that microwave is broken right now. It's set to timer only. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Good, te- good uh, technology reference there. All right, number four, the fixturing is officially fucked. Yeah, so apparently there will definitely be no bubbles at all. They've come out and said staunchly that that won't happen. I still wonder if it's a good idea to get a few games done real quick. And it, look, never say never in these times, I reckon. People will put a line through things. It's only in pencil. Mm. Anything can happen. They've got to do what they got to do. But yeah, it's a compromised season. Now, look, I don't profess to have a fix to this. So I'm not saying to the NBL, give it to me, I'll sort it out. But you mentioned it last week. New Zealand have now played nine games. Cairns have played four. Yep. And New Zealand have had one postponed too. Yeah. So yeah. Yep. Now, thankfully, New Zealand and Cairns at this stage, touch wood, will be playing in the next game. So that'll bring it to 10 and five. But the discrepancy at this stage of the season is huge. And it's not easy for Cairns to make those games up. 
So it's already tough for Cairns and it's going to get tougher because they're going to have to start playing games in really condensed periods of time. And I don't think they're going to be able to do it well. And again, that's why I would advocate for a short bubble because at least they're not traveling then. Okay, three games in five nights is tough, but three games in five nights traveling is way tougher. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Now, I've kind of buried the lead a little bit here. Hey, haven't used that one for a while, have we? Melbourne United. They are the they're real, good. They're the real deal. Yeah. We, we wrote them off. Well, we, we didn't write them off. We had no. worries. We were worried about yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. And look, obviously, any game is easier when Matthew Dolvanova is shooting it out of his ass. Yes. Like, I don't think he's ever shot seven of eight at one. He's finished seven of 11 in the game the other day, but... I don't think he's ever been seven of eight from three, probably in his life. No, I don't. I don't think so either. I think I think that's been verified. Actually, did you hear the amazing analogy? So I can't remember who it was, but somebody said that his three point shot is like watching a cat cough up a furball. It's because of the weird movement <laughs> yeah, that he yeah, makes. Yeah. Like I know, as someone who's owned cats for a lot of his life, but yeah, that's the, funny. The first time you hear it, you're like, "What?" And then you think about it for a second, and you think, "Oh, oh my god, that is Delhi." That's like, classic. So, look, a couple of really good wins. And I think that's now, might even be six on the trot now for Melbourne. They're, they're having a really they're good cooking. run. Yep. Four-point win in Illawarra, 11-point win over New Zealand. As I said, Delhi went mental. He was three of 22 going into that game from deep, and then he just goes ballistic. So, awesome. I saw an interesting tweet from Chris Anstey about this. So, I don't know. Did you see the Australian story with Luke Longley? No, no. So, one of the quotes he mentioned on that was, when you leave the NBA, there are certain habits you almost have to unlearn because... It's, it's very much niche kind of role play. The roles are more defined over there. And Chris Anstey said, this is the awakening. This is Delhi unlearning some of the NBA stuff and becoming an NBL star. Mm. Time will tell whether that's true. And then going back to one of the previous points I made with Sydney, this is another example of Melbourne United understanding that if a guy is hot, you give, give him the ball. Oh, of course. They've done it with Golding. They've done it with Agata. They've now done it with Delhi. It is a simple game. If a guy is hitting shots, set screens for them, figure out what the best thing is. And guys will keep going under on Delhi. They'll go under the screen, so he's going to have shots available. So it's just it's simple. Speaking of Golding, first development player to reach 5,000 points. Yeah, right. So that's a very God, impressive. Easy to forget he was a DP. Like, well, he played for us. Yeah. I wanted the Wildcats to keep him instead of Stephen Way. And then Way only lasted one more season. Yeah, then. And he was way shitter than Golding. Anyway. Yeah. Now, there was a little bit of an incident at the end of the game against Illawarra. This was a frantic comeback from the Hawks. At the end of the game, a pretty big missed call. So there's been a rebound scrap. Joe Luolachul has thrown a pass towards his own basket straight to Xavier Rathan Mays. Absolute calamitous turnover, who's gone straight in for a layup to cut it to two. I think Golding hit him with the body, though, and they missed the call. I was surprised when I saw the footage, given how whistle-happy NBL refs are. It's a big time to it miss It looked that like point. a body foul to me. Yeah. It really did. Yeah. And, and Illawarra were at home. So there was all this yeah. stuff on social media, like Melbourne are the only team that gets home calls away. Yeah. <laughs> they they absolutely had the rub of the green as far yeah, as the okay. umpiring went. Like okay. They got a lot of very, very favourable calls in that game. I will and, try to go back and watch it after I get through my NFL. Yeah. yeah. I need to pick, catch up some NBL games. And it's kind of unfortunate because there were a lot of missed free throws late in that game. And unfortunately, every time... It seemed there was a miss. The ball would just end up straight back with Melbourne. And unfortunately, Illawarra never got a chance to jack up a three to try and tie the game. It was, right. it was a shame. Now, my biggest and probably my most controversial takeaway from this weekend, and it goes with Illawarra, 
I don't know that Tyler Harvey is actually good for them. So I'll give you some stats. And I know that it's a lot more than just the stats, but he's shot more than 40% from the field twice in six games. Oh, he hasn't started well, yeah. He shot under 30% in three of the six games so far. He's also had three turnovers in three of the six games so far. Shot selection's worse than last year. He's actually taken 57 threes to 42s so far. So Mm. basically nearly three out of every five shots is a three. Well, the whole league is going down that road, aren't they? Let's face it. But yeah. That's that's bad. He's 18 of 57 this season. It's it's ugly. Yeah. Like the only positive I can make for him right now is that he's averaging nearly three steals a game. But uh, yeah, I just don't know if he's the best option. There were a couple of times in that Melbourne game where they're making a really big comeback. They, you know, you've got Justinian Jessup who was shooting the lights out. You've got other options. Joop Reith can get whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And he's coming down in these semi-fast breaks and taking a 30-footer with a hand in his face. I suspect he'll come good. I mean, even Bryce Cotton had down periods for the Wildcats last season, for example. Yeah, I just worry about the decisions that he makes, when to pull and when to when to make the pass. It's just... The other problem in COVID times is it's very hard to replace an import. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, I suspect he'll come good, but I'll certainly watch out for it more. Yeah. Yeah, I would certainly say the second half of that game, there were times when I looked at it and I just thought, he is a negative for this team. And yeah, he, he's, okay. he's not a great defender. He's not particularly big. Gorge is pretty big on him, though, I think, isn't he? So yeah, but I mean, he's got a lot of faith in him. What does Gorge know about basketball? <laughs> <laughs> no, look, uh, it's just certainly something that I've noticed is I just kind of worry about it. I worry about the decision-making. I worry about the types of shots that he's taking. Not even so much the volume. It's just the types of shots. Maybe we'll be using the flashback sound effect with you. Uh, yeah, it'll be like, <laughs> and Tyler Harvey's just dropped 50 again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, look, I hope he comes good because when he is on, he is one of the most exciting players in the entire league, but it's just not there right now. Well, if they want to win the championship, they need him to perform. They do. By the way, speaking of Gorge, we forgot to mention that he won't be coaching the Boomers in the upcoming qualifiers. Yeah, It'll be Bevo, yeah. Rob so that's, that's good to see. Hold my beverage. Indeed. Well played. And I guess maybe a little sort of <laughs> minimal notice sort of thing. The Wildcats are going to struggle away. I don't think that they're going to miss the playoffs. I still think they'll make them, but... Well, banking those early wins is going to be huge. But certainly what one thing I noticed is it's, it wasn't the same team. I think, well, there are the, the major... Look, maybe it's the COVID stuff that you talked about at the top of this segment. The rebounding was the really big worry for me. They're just not blocking out. Mm. And guys like Hodgson, he should be, he should be gobbling up rebounds. Adelaide didn't play spectacularly well. They missed a lot of bunnies themselves. But unfortunately for the Wildcats, they were grabbing a lot of the offensive boards. So, yeah, I think... Look, Travers was a huge out. He was. He was good to see Blanchfield back. I, I think, yeah, geez, I was, think they finally was... lost the third or fourth quarter. I think they lost the fourth quarter today. It's the first second half quarter they've lost all season. Hmm. I still... Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not calling panic station. The other, the interesting thing was Vic Law. Speaking of rebounds, he gobbled up lots of rebounds. Yeah, he was pissed off. That's so he I... doesn't play big at the offensive end very often, but at the defensive end, he maybe plays a bit bigger, which is what the Wildcats need him to do. I don't know. I still think there's maybe a few too many threes. It was very stagnant on offense. That ball wasn't moving nearly enough in the first half. I still feel like Cotton and Law are learning how to play with each other and yeah. pick their moments a little bit. I feel like Lord does force it a little bit, but today he was the only one playing well at the start of the game, so I can understand why he forced it. Yeah, it, it, the Wildcats are a very, very interesting one. And my last takeaway from this game is, if it's a block charge, 
don't blow your challenge. They're always going to back the refs on those. Mm. Unless it's like last minute of the game and it could potentially. Uh, but yeah, it's it's tough. I don't think any block charge challenge has been successful so far. Not true. Oh, okay. There was one very late in one of the New Zealand games. Okay. Which, okay. which was actually overturned. I was screaming straight away doing the little... Oh, one. yeah. You might have mentioned that last week now that you said. Yeah, okay. But it's very rare. <laughs> You're going to win one of those. Mm. Very rare. It is, it is tough. Yeah. So as we have our bridge between NBO and NBA every week, this time, Josh Kitty and Jock Landau, the first time that two former NBL players have got a double-double in the NBA the following season that are Aussie. Hmm. There you go. Josh Giddy also continuing to climb the stat leaders. Yeah, I think the fourth fastest to a certain amount of points and rebounds. I can't remember the figures. That's just going to keep happening, so yeah. it doesn't really matter. But... No, it's, he's been all right. Oh, and then the other one, I guess, just quickly, it was really interesting to hear the Pocket Podcast episode about Giddy when he talked to the OKC guy. Yeah, it was, it was great. So Ryland Stiles, who has done a lot of work with OKC, still very young. I was amazed when he said how old he yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, yeah, he sounds great. But uh, one of the things I really like about Joe is that he's not afraid to ask the hard question. He made that really interesting stat comparison with Michael Carter-Williams. How valid do you think that is? Look, I mean, anytime numbers are there, they're there to be read into and interpreted. And, and you can do that in a number of different ways. I always felt like Michael Carter-Williams was drafted by Philly as part of the process with an eye on maybe trading him down the track. And that's kind of what actually happened. And it actually led, funnily enough, a couple of trades later to them getting that number one draft pick that they wasted on Markel Fuchs. <laughs> right. Like, imagine if they got Jason Tatum with that pick. Yeah, no kidding. Holy crap. Yeah, yeah. Simmons, Tatum, Embiid. Well, there's a lot of imagines with them. Imagine if they'd kept Jimmy Butler, for example, yeah. and managed to get rid of Tobias Harris. Yeah, imagine if Julius Irving was still playing <laughs> with Mo Cheeks and Andrew Tony and Charles Mark, Barkley. Mark Ivoroni and Moses Malone and ah, stuff. Yeah, so, very good. Yeah. But, um, but no, I, I think it's a fair comparison. I mean, look, Carter Williams in his first year, he absolutely looked like he could be the next I don't know, maybe not Jason Kidd, but he looked like he had those skills to be a guy who could certainly push for a triple-double season. And unfortunately, since then, he's receded every single season to the point where he's out of the league. But I, th I think, as I said, at that time, it just felt like he was always going to be a draft-then-trade sort of piece. And yeah, thankfully for Philly, it kind of worked out well. I think Giddy's pedigree with his parents, his work ethic, he just seems like a good guy. And his natural ability. I mean, I was big on him. You can go back and listen to our early episodes. I was big on him very early in the piece and said, I think he could go as high as pick six. Um, so I'm not at all surprised he's doing super well. I'm surprised he's doing it this early. I didn't think he'd get this much court time. Yeah, you did say he, he might struggle to get 20 minutes. Yeah, I thought they'd play him off the bench. I didn't yeah. think they'd play a 19-year-old this many minutes. But the, the tank is strong in OKC. Trust the process. Which helps. Yeah, so no, that was that's definitely an interview worth listening to for those that haven't. And yeah, a shout out to our friends at the Pocket Podcast. Oh, now, sorry, the other question that Joe did ask is, would you trade him for Ben Simmons? No. No, I would not. not no. Why, why would you trade a guy that has a track record of just... He, he came out and said he may miss the entire season recently. Yeah, he's a diva. So a couple of the points that, that Ryland Stiles made absolutely make sense. He doesn't want to be in a small market. He basically wants to be in California. So Oklahoma makes no sense to him. He wants to be in a winning position, which OKC is not going to be ready for that for maybe two or three seasons. So the timeline's absolutely with Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Josh Giddy, Lou Dort, those guys. It really lines up a lot better with Giddy than it does with Simmons. And we've already seen it. Simmons feels like he is bigger than the team. I mean, you mentioned 
a while back that his college coach and someone in the scouting report said he needs to be the center of attention. That's not going to happen. It's so interesting that he wants to play in a big market, but when he plays in the big market of Philly and people turn against him, he crumbles. Yeah, it's, it. it's a very weird situation. I mean, we've seen all the shit that Russell Westbrook's been copying in the last few weeks. We'll talk about him in a minute. How does Ben Simmons think he's going to go in LA? If he has a bad game, they're going to be calling for his head. Or New York. Or New York. Or Chicago. Or any of these ones. Yep. yep. So Not I, that yeah. Chicago would trade for him, but yeah, yeah. Yep. So yeah, absolutely for me. The fact, I mean, he hasn't played in seven months. He needs to go to a small market. I think that's the best thing for him. Yep. Yeah. A place where you can actually be the face of a franchise. I, I would love to see him somewhere like, I don't know, maybe Sacramento. He's still in California but there's not the pressure on Yeah, you. yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yep. you can yep. be... You, Portland, yep. San Antonio, not that I'm convinced I want the team to get him, but I'd, but I'd talk myself into it if we did. But yeah, yep. Yeah, it's just, it's not a good situation. So no, is the, the short answer, absolutely not. I don't know why you would trade a A-plus character guy for a, a guy that has some pretty early signs that is, yeah, pretty fickle. So, yeah. Kyrie Irving 2.0. <laughs> Speaking of him, how weird is it that he's playing now? So he's playing for the Nets to help them get a better seed, but he can't play at home. So the irony is that the more he plays and the more he helps them win, <laughs> the harder it's going to be. The less playoff games you'll play. Yeah. It's bizarre. What I, a situation. Yeah. And apparently, Harden's, there's talk that Harden wants a trade. Oh Did you hear God. that? I don't know how, I only read that last night. So I don't know how accurate that is. Dear Lord. Fascinating. It really is. Yeah. Where does he want to go now? Yeah, they're both divas. Speaking of divas, they're both of them. Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit of NBA this week. We yeah decided not to watch a whole heap this week because there was a lot going on. But well, just yeah, for me, I prioritized the Ashes and the NFL playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Now I wanted to start this segment off with one of the more brilliant articles I've read in recent times slash all time. Now a lot of people might remember former Philadelphia 76er, New Jersey Net and Dallas Maverick Sean Bradley being in a cycling accident, ended up in a wheelchair. Yeah. Horrible story. Well Brian Burnsed from Sports Illustrated has put together an absolutely spectacular account of Sean's battle, not just with being paralyzed, but being paralyzed and seven foot six. Yes. And looking at the challenges that that brings for his family, there was a quote from Sean that said, I don't know how I can ease the burden of me. Yeah. It just, oh, heartbreaking. it does. It really, it hurts, but it is a fascinating read. He spent a lot of time with Sean and with his wife uh, and just, yeah, just hearing about all of the modifications that go into the house. I mean, just if you were able-bodied there'd be need to be modifications yeah i remember way back in the day on nba action Dikembe mutombo on the road and he had to pull the couch up to the end of the bed and his legs still went over yeah and he was only in verticom seven yeah yeah so yeah wow yeah and so it, it talks about him going out and looking at the swimming pool that he can't use yeah and you know going to parts of his house and not being able to get upstairs and all that sort of stuff it's it's really sad thank god he made a lot of money playing the game he's able to afford yeah it. that's true but yeah. like the modifications just on his car were like 90,000 bucks. Wow. Yeah, it's a really honest piece of writing. I would urge anyone to take 20 minutes out of their day to give it a read, especially if you grew up watching 90s and 2000s NBA like we did. I think they've done a doco about him or Netflix are going to do a doco about him. Okay. I think it might have been, yeah. We'll keep an eye out for that as well. Did you know he was born in Germany? I did actually. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little town called Landstuhl. Yeah, I don't know why he didn't play for them. So, but, um, so yeah. small that they don't even have the Google Maps car gone through. Wow, really? Yeah. Wow. Like it's near, I think it's near Kaiserslautern. So it's a pretty 
big area. Was his dad in the armed forces or something? Must have been. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah I didn't realize that until the other day. So there you go. Couple of trades. Yeah, well, well <laughs> one that got rescinded. An anti-trade. Yeah, so, we talked about it last week. So we'll start the blockbuster trade that would have sent Bol Bol <laughs> to Detroit. It's been voided. So the Pistons doctors have failed Bol's physical. So they didn't tighten the sticky tape tight enough. No, yeah, no, yeah. the venue's enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, interestingly, the last time a trade with Detroit was voided by a failed physical was in 2016 with Donatus Montezunas. So he failed a physical coming across from Houston. And he actually tweeted. Yeah, I saw this. I was failed on physicals and told by Detroit doctors I will not play basketball again. Six years later, I'm still here and have many years to go. They're destroying young players' names and futures in the NBA doing this. Surely there has to be an independent league assigned doctor doing these physicals or doing it with the team doctors. Well, it reeks of buyer's remorse, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like, oh, actually, oh, oh, maybe we shouldn't have traded for him. They said yes way too quickly. Yeah, what have yeah, we missed? Yeah, yeah. Let's go back and start again. It's, yeah, it's not a good look at all. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it's bad. Like, people probably don't want to play in Detroit as it is. So we do have an actual trade, though. Yes, Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish. The guy I said that Atlanta should have used in a potential Ben Simmons deal is now going to New York. But they did get the prized head of Kevin Knox. <laughs> Fucking hell. The what world a, beater. What a <laughs> stupid try. Oh, seriously. So Cam Reddish to the Knicks with Solomon Hill and a 2025 second round pick for Kevin Knox and a 2022 first round pick via Charlotte. That 2022 first round pick is basically useless. Oh, it's a steal for New York. It's top 18 protected next year, top 16 the year after, top 14 the year after that. And then it basically... Sliding scales on two yeah. two pick intervals. Yeah, and then it goes to two second rounders after that. Yeah. So it's a fucking waste. Yeah. And Charlotte are going to be decent. So yep. the likelihood of those actually... Oh, it's just... It's, it's, it's dumb. It, it beggars belief for Atlanta. It really does. Now, I will say this. Kevin Knox is not an NBA player. He's, he's trash. He's just not someone I would want. On he team. had potential coming out of college, but he hasn't lived up to it. And everyone misfired on him. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think the athleticism. I think often guys that are really athletic, people salivate over. But if they don't have the basic skills, then athleticism can only get you so far. Okay, you can be turned into a player like Kawhi Leonard was, but it doesn't happen for everyone. No. Now, I heard on the mismatch, he has the second worst effective field goal percentage in the league in the last five years. Second worst. Yeah, that's damning. Out of 312 guys that qualified. Yeah. It's disgraceful. Unfortunately for Reddish, he's 304th out of 312. That was a bit of a surprise. So, But he's got he's got a lot of potential. Played well in, in the playoffs at times. So I think he's a good pickup for them. He, the, the problem is, and the reason that his number is so low, he doesn't finish well at the rim. So they said he's under 50% at the rim. He's kind of been seen as this 3 and D guy, but unfortunately, really, he hasn't hit the 3. D's been... Okay. He's a bit of a microwave, so he, he is streaky, but yeah. And, he, and he's had 30-point games in the last Oh, month. yeah, and like I said, he had some good playoff performances. He, he was, yeah, he was yeah. excellent. So I think if anyone's going to get anything out of this, it'll be the Knicks. Unfortunately, none of those three guys even suited up for their new teams today anyway. So it's, yeah, it's a bit of a head-scratcher. Will be interesting to see how the Knicks integrate in, though. Mm. Yeah. We'll have to ask Cody what he thinks. Yeah, we will. By the way, I confirmed with him that he would be a replacement player if... if if they came knocking. Yeah, so I, I suppose it depends. We talked about it without yeah. even asking you, but... I suppose it depends who, but... Yeah, well, maybe, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it depends. I should have asked play. Alex as well, another friend of the show. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I'll ask him for next week. He'd still be in shape. Oh, yeah, yeah. he could play, definitely. A couple of quick injury scares that we've had this week for MVP candidates. So, Zach Levine having an MRI on his right knee, 
turned it a bit awkwardly against the Warriors early in the week. It was a weird one. It just kind of took a rebound and turned a little bit funny and just those innocuous ones are often yeah, yeah hopefully he's all right it's, it's not their number one seed well he tore the acl in the left knee in minnesota so it is the opposite knee apparently there's no structural damage so fingers crossed steph curry jammed his right hand in the same game going for a layup he says he's okay so fingers crossed certainly for the warriors yeah but they've they've dropped four or five since green and curry have been out i think so and and thompson after that good first game yeah, well, has come back down to earth yeah, they'll be fine though they'll be fine yeah the concerning one was though kevin durant's knee yes huge so bruce brown taking a charge falling backwards into his knee herb jones out of control he's a he's a big unit the rookie and uh, he's, <laughs> he's knocked him into durant tried to stay in the game but he just walked off the court on the next play yeah just said no fuck it can't go anymore yep and well, they got to protect him for the playoffs. They've said four to six weeks. I dare say they'll probably try and hold James Harden in town as much as they can. Yeah, well, and hope Kyrie um, plays those road games. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, Brooklyn's an interesting one. It is an interesting one. We'll finish with some funnies. Yeah, Russell Westbrook. Holy crap. <laughs> Had a massive dunk today. He did. Whew. He did. He absolutely put Rudy Gobert on a poster. That was lovely. Uh, I, I will say this. It's not all funny, though. He's been copying so much. Too he, much, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't been, love him as a player. I wouldn't want him on my team, but some of the stuff he puts up with is shit. I mean, people are sending him diss tracks. Like, white guys who should not be rapping are sending him diss tracks. It's that bad. <laughs> but, and yeah, okay, it wasn't a great trade. When you look at it in retrospect, Kyle Kuzma's been playing pretty well. Oh, out of his skin. Montres Harrell's been playing pretty well. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope's been playing well. So I get it. But jeez. So Russell, he didn't make the trade. No. He just suited up for the team that pays him. Hmm. Yeah. But the funny thing does come out of Sacramento. Yes. So they're playing foreigner cold as ice. By the way, sneaky good live band. I was very impressed with them when I saw them. Yeah. Cold as ice every time he shot the ball, I think. And now the, the league has cracked down and said they can't do it anymore. And he took it in good humor. He was fine with it. So I don't know why the league had to do that. Hmm. Yeah. Do you know what I should play? What? He's a brick <laughs> house. Yes. He's mighty, mighty. Yes. Bad at shooting the ball. If um, only there were a song called Empty Stats or uh, <laughs> Poor Decision Making Down the Stretch or something, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and a funny to finish this part off, Devin Booker and the mascot oh, in Toronto. Yeah. Afraid of dinosaurs. How is this even a thing? Oh, ridiculous. So just to contextualize for those that don't know, there was an empty stadium due to COVID. The Raptor was trying to put him off while he was shooting free throws. He asked the refs to move the Raptor, and they did. Hmm. So he's, he's even jumping now. You're a professional. You're making tens of million dollars a season. I think it's shit. Like, I, I think the refs shouldn't have moved the mascot. They should have said, be lucky he's the only one here. They should have moved Devin Booker. Yeah. Move, move him back. Yeah. Take a three. See what happens when you start dating a Kardashian. Yeah, you turn into, yeah. A, into a diva. Yeah. Ben Simmons. <laughs> Well, he's with Maya Charma now. They're engaged. Mm, poor girl. <laughs> but, like, what's next with Booker? Like, he's going to tell the posing crowds they need to sit still and not make any noise while he's shooting? Yes. Like, sit on your hands. Grow up. It's yeah. part of your job. Just shoot. Yeah, this is a bloke that had a 70. Yeah. And he can't shoot free throws with a guy in a fucking dinosaur suit? Yeah, just shoot Jesus. Ball. Shoot the ball. Yeah. A couple of random stats to finish things off. But it's been a marathon, hasn't it? Oh, it really has. <laughs> So 57 seconds into their game against the Washington Wizards on Thursday, the Orlando Magic were already 0 for 8 from the field. 0 for 8 in 57 seconds. Yeah, that's that's impressive. Seven of those eight shots were in the paint as well. Like, how do you miss eight shots? 
in that period of time. I don't understand. A lot of putbacks, I guess. A lot of putbacks, but a lot of blown layups as well. Yeah, Not yeah. it wasn't pretty. It was all, all Robin Lopez and Franz Wagner and that. But tips. Now, Kobe White, he's got more points in his career right now than Zion Williamson. Yeah, well, you got to play the games in order to get the stats, don't yep. you? Yep, 2,201 to 2,187. Probably got him in games played as well. Oh, yeah. Have, yeah. <laughs> by, by a lot. And just quickly, the Atlanta Hawks, the same Atlanta Hawks that made the conference finals last year, won at home against Milwaukee today. That was their first home win since the 23rd of November last year. Wow. Nearly three months ago. Yeah. Well, and those Trey Young comments about being bored during the regular season, mm-hmm. I tell you what, you make one conference finals and all of a sudden you think you can just waltz your way through the regular season. No. He's going to be even more bored during the playoffs. Well. And he's sitting at home. Yeah. Do you actually do you see a world where they contend for the playoffs? I know we're only halfway through. Yeah, there's a lot of time left. Who knows? Trades could be made. Apparently, John Collins is being looked at on the block. Like <sighs> crazy. Yeah, I yeah. Yeah. Look, I think they can, but they're up against it. Well, they're four games behind 10th at the moment. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. So yeah, we shall see. I've just got a quick one as well, Stewie. Ayo Dasunmu is the only Bulls rookie with 15 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists and 5 steals since steals were first tracked in the 73-74 season and the first Chicago rookie to have 5 steals in a game since Jay Williams. Well, hopefully his career follows a different trajectory. Yes, indeed. Yes. Stay off the motorbikes. Oh, all right, Stewie, you know what that music means. What are you at for? I mean, it's going to be another massive week of sport. There's still so much going on. Absolutely amped for the women's ashes starting tomorrow as we've just ticked over midnight. So Yes, indeed. Yes, officially yeah. tomorrow. It would have started by the time we upload this probably, but yeah. Yep, so looking forward to that. Hopefully a bunch more NBL with any luck as long as COVID doesn't intervene again. Wildcats and Illawarra coming up. Yeah, should be a cracker. Yep, huge. How about yourself, mate? Well, it's got to be Bills and Chiefs. Yeah. So, so looking forward to that. But all the NFL playoffs will be excellent. Until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.